We all know that the lion is the king of the jungle. The ocean's equivalent of the lion would be the shark. For a player to play in the Western League in the 80s and then turn pro in the late 80s and play through the 90s in the American and International Leagues and carry the nickname Sharky, you know he had to be a badass. And indeed he was. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kerry Clark. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Uh, so this week, I don't think I'm going to ramble on too much, but I could be wrong. There is something I have to say. I, I went back and forth uh, with myself thinking, am I going to talk about this or not? And uh, I guess I have to say something because it's been a bone of contention for me uh, for a long time. And it has nothing to do with hockey. It has nothing to do with sports. So I'll try to make this quick. Uh, but there were a couple of videos that went viral uh, this past week or two weeks ago. And uh, both of them, I, I don't know which is dumber than the next. So the first one were those kids that were in Florida on spring break. And they were defiant that they were not going to let the coronavirus ruin their spring break. Well... I don't I don't understand why. Uh, I mean, I guess it's like moth to a flame. Uh, you put a camera out there and you're just going to attract the dumbest people. Uh, it is incredible to me. Uh, on the bright side, uh, if those people in that video uh, are the people that are going to be competing with my children for jobs in the future, then I love it because uh, I have all the confidence in the world in my kids. Uh, but like I said, if those are the, if that's the competition. <laughs> They're shoe-ins because, I mean, just, I don't even know what to say to that. And when I saw that video, I thought it was going to be the dumbest video I saw all week. But I was wrong. Uh, another video that went viral were uh, celebrities singing Imagine. And I think the backstory behind that was um, uh, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. Uh, she said she got inspiration from a video that she saw of an Italian man uh, singing on his uh, balcony. And uh, I have no issue with that. Uh, being a proud Italian myself, uh, I know we are very inspirational. So uh, I can absolutely understand that. 
but the the video that she's talking about uh if i'm if i'm correct this was just a guy that knows that his little areas town i mean the whole country of italy is really getting just killed and maybe that was a poor choice of, choice of words but it's just getting hammered by the coronavirus it's really really sad to say um and i guess this guy just thought uh the power of music and, and song would uh maybe brighten up people's spirits even if it was for a few minutes and he didn't know he was being filmed and he just uh he just did it you know to you know like i said uh lift people's spirits whatever um so i guess that inspired uh gal gadot to get her hollywood uh buddies to sing imagine and um it just speaks volumes to me. It's it's actually irritating how out of touch with reality celebrities are. It just it, it it's incredible to me. So on the on the worst case of the spectrum, you have uh, people that are dying from this, from this coronavirus, and a few notches down from that, you have people that maybe lost their jobs and now are struggling. You know. Um, and and these people, these Hollywood people, think that they're inspirations. So you're going to call up your Hollywood buddies, and you're going to sing a line from Imagine. You're going to splice it together, and it's gonna it's gonna brighten everyone's day. It's actually the complete opposite of the video that was released of the guy in Italy. Um, if you know me, you know that this whole uh, celebrity uh, culture where people fawn all over them. Uh, has always been an irritant of mine. I mean, listen, I enjoy the Wonder Woman movies. I think they're fantastic. I'm a fan of the superhero movies, the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe. Uh, I'm a fan of all those. I'll see all of them. But I honestly couldn't give two shits about what any of the people in the movies that play pretend think about anything. I mean, I guess to put it in simplest terms, uh, Hollywood actors and actresses, they are people who most of them, or at least a good portion of them, have made money based on their looks and reading words that other people have written for them. They play pretend. Now, do they have a better job than you or I? Maybe. I don't know if it's better. It's certainly more um, high profile, and it probably pays more. I know it pays more than than uh, my job, and I, I have a pretty good job, but I, I'm, not, I'm not making as much as Gal Gadot does for Wonder Woman or you know, any of these other actors or actresses in Hollywood. So it's certainly more high profile gig and, and better paying, but I don't know if it's a better job. Um, but the, these people, the celebrities are just not based in reality. You know, I'm not one of these people that says, you know, like, uh, don't, it irritates me, but I understand if they want to voice their views on social media about politics and everything. I can't, I can't it's a free country so you're free to do whatever you want I guess the irritating part of it is when people say whoa this this guy likes this politician and this guy says that politician is a crook or whatever and then you take that as gospel they're they're Hollywood people they're they're I, I don't know like I guess the frustrating part is when people put what these celebrities think uh ahead of what a regular person thinks because they're celebrity but so I saw that video and it just like first thing I did was basically go, what the fuck did I just watch? And I just shook my head 
and um, I think someone really needs to <laughs> to just I don't know like can you get all these actors and actresses together and go listen you're good at your job but you know when you're left to your own devices and you're not reading like uh, a script then you're dangerous because you have no sense of reality your reality is different than 99% of society's reality so please stop so if you haven't seen those two videos don't watch them because they're just mind-numbing so um, that's my public service if you haven't seen those videos don't but uh, that's my rant Uh, I'm always ready to rant against uh, celebrities that think they're better than you and I because they're not Um, and uh, I didn't find any inspiration to the imagine video Um, and I don't know anyone who did so um, and if you did that's great Um, but uh, definitely not in this house and nobody that I know uh, watched that video and was like, wow, I'm going to go get something now, or I'm yippee, you know, I don't know anyone that did that. So, um, you know, please celebrities, you know, live in your mansions, do your thing and, you know, spoil your children and whatever. But, uh, we don't need to hear from you, especially in times of crisis. You can't relate to us and we can't relate to you. So just do your thing, isolate and, uh, turn the phone off or at least the uh, video portion of it. So anyway, that's my rant. Uh, I said I wasn't going to talk long. It's already almost eight minutes in. Uh, I want to thank everyone um, who has tuned in to any of the episodes or all of them. You guys are awesome. Um, I would never say I have the best fans in the world. I don't have fans. I have friends. I have family. And uh, for those of you who listen to my show, I consider you friends and family. Um, I really appreciate the feedback. I had someone message me and... um, tell me that uh you know with everything that's going on with the coronavirus and everything that they just enjoy listening to the show because for a couple hours they don't have to think of reality and i i was thinking the same thing uh about other people's shows like uh um just i it's funny for all these years i never had a smartphone and now i can't imagine my life without one and it's really because i just dive into these uh you know, seven or eight podcasts that I listened to. And, and uh, I was thinking that about those shows where I can listen to those shows and I, for an hour, two hours, um, I don't have to think about what's going on if I don't want to. And when, when someone had sent me that message, I was really touched because, um, you know, like I said, I do this for fun and um, I do it to keep myself involved with the game, even though I, I talk to retired players. They're the ones that, uh, to me, have the best stories because they played in a different era than now. Um, I hope to get some of the guys on the team now on the show eventually. I don't know if Lamarillo allows that. Um, but this is really, uh, I don't want to say a labor of love because I don't, it's work. Don't get me wrong. It definitely is work, but it's something I'm interested in doing. I do this for myself and I do this for you guys. And uh, so to the person who sent me that message, thank you so much. That uh, that means the world to me. Um, other than that, it's uh, I don't think we're going to have sports this year. I mean, maybe we'll get football at some point. I obvi- I don't think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna see NHL or NBA if that's your thing. Um, who knows what's going to happen with baseball? Uh, if we're going to see any baseball, and uh, I, who knows about football training camps? So. Uh, I'm very grateful for the collection of DVDs that I have, the fight DVDs and the old games that I have that uh, will sustain me for a little bit. 
And actually, I was uh, I was watching an old Capital District Islander DVD for uh, research for the interview after this one. And uh, I think for anyone who, like me that watches the old fight videos, is there anything more enraging than the people who used to record the games for the teams and didn't zoom in on the fights? So yeah, it looks like they're shooting from a mile away. And they don't zoom in. So not only is your uh, your view of the fight, uh, you see, watching it from a million miles away, um, you don't even know who it is until they skate to the penalty box. And that's if the person who made the tape let it run that long. So, um, and I'm thinking if you're the guy that runs the video, um, you probably have a job with the team and you probably know the guys who are doing the fighting and I'm sure you know that they're the best guys on the team. So wouldn't you want to just be like, oh, this guy's had a fight. Let me zoom in, get a good camera angle. But uh, the person that did the filming, at least for the first season in Capital District, really, uh, they, that was a big letdown. A lot of these fights are from a distance and thankfully for some of the other uh, road arenas, uh, they, they uh, were a lot better. So, um, so that's my, uh, that's me complaining about a fight DVD that I watched that is from 1990, 91. So I'm complaining about something from 30 years ago. I mean, is there anything more get off my lawn than that? But, uh, it just, as I'm watching it today, I'm going, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Come on, zoom in here. But, uh, I guess the only thing worse than that are the ones that would, um, film away from the fight. There'd be a fight going on, and next thing you know, you're looking at center rice or you're looking at the other goalie. Uh, and I think actually for a while, Milwaukee, uh, when the games, when the Admirals would play, uh, a lot of times they would just shoot the scoreboard or they'd actually put up a graphic of the standings. I, I don't know what that's about. But um, anyway, I, I think I've reached the point where I'm rambling. Hopefully you haven't turned this off. I have a really good interview today for you guys. Um, Kerry Clark, uh, who had a very, very distinguished minor league career, uh, tough as nails, uh, great guy, and the owner of the best hockey celebration ever, uh, the Moonwalk and the Three Amigos. They're, you've seen it before. If you're not familiar with Kerry, although if you're listening to this, you are, but if you're new to the show and new to the genre of the hockey fight genre, uh, you may not know Kerry Clark, but you've certainly seen his goal celebration. So I think uh, Theo Fleury, when he scored his playoff goal and he went crazy on the ice, and that celebration is, uh, I think, the best one-time celebration. Um, it was certainly exciting, but nothing touches Kerry Clark's uh, goal celebration, especially... Uh, because it led to so many fights. So um, Kerry, Kerry's a big deal to me. He played on the Springfield in the late 80s, and as you know by now, that is a pretty important team in my hockey fandom, and I'm trying to get all those guys on the show. Um, and uh, Kerry, to me, one of my favorite players. And, um, you know, like I, like I say in the interview, after the Islanders moved their affiliation to the IHL, I needed an American League team to root for. So I saw that uh, Portland, the Capitals team, they were moving their team from Baltimore to Portland. And uh, when you look at the roster and you see Kevin Kaminsky and Brian Curran and Kerry Clark and Jeff Serka and guys like that, um, that's an easy team to root for. 
And it was nice because I started rooting for them in their first season. They won the Calder Cup. It doesn't get better than that until you factor in that the coach of that team was Barry Trotz, who, of course, you know is the coach of the Islanders now. So um, I guess that's about it. Uh, please, uh, a few other shows that you may want to listen to. Uh, Fourth Line Voice, who hasn't had a show in a while. Darren, what are you doing? Uh, I know you had some technical difficulties. I think the IT department is slacking up there in uh, Saskatchewan. So so please, um, you know, get that going. Uh, I miss your show. And um, Alec, Five for Fighting, um, he's had some really good guests on, especially if you're not familiar with the LNAH. Uh, I would definitely go back and listen to those shows. Uh, I think those are some of his best ones. Uh, that's the league where you may have seen documentaries on the uh, league up in uh, Quebec, uh, pretty much the probably the toughest league ever. Um, and uh, he, he's done uh, some really good uh, stuff about that league. So... Um, I would definitely give those guys a listen. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The Biscuit Podcast with William. He's uh, He does some good stuff too. I actually uh, was all caught up with all my podcasts a couple of days ago. And I actually went back and started to listen to his first few episodes. Which uh, were pretty funny based on where he is now. So uh, those were some pretty funny, pretty funny episodes. But um, that's about it. So listen. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to Kerry Clark, uh, and um, I had a blast doing this episode. It was a real treat for me, and uh, I hope you enjoy it too. So you people out there, get ready. It's Sharky, Kerry Clark. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. Today is a big deal for me. Uh, I get to speak to one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, and he actually was, uh, he actually has been a key player on two of my favorite American Hockey League teams, and I'll explain that later. But uh, right now, I have uh, arguably the toughest dude to ever come out of Kelvington, Saskatchewan, Mr. Kerry Clark. How you doing today, Sharky? Very good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, a, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. So, um, a lot of my listeners are, are down here in the States, and... Uh, and they're not maybe as in tune to a lot of the Canadian stuff as I am. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about Kelvington? Well, Kelvington is a small community of uh, about 950 to 1,000 people. And uh, uh, you're, you're, in the, you're in the rink in the wintertime or the Kringling rink or playing fastball in the summer on the farm fields and at the lake. So it's a very sports-oriented town and a very close community that... Uh, uh, they've been uh, there's a very supportive community for anybody who comes out of the community uh, specializing in anything and uh, so I think for even uh, casual hockey fans they're familiar with uh, your brother Wendell I think casual hockey fans have heard of Wendell Clark and I think uh, for a little more diehard hockey fans they may have heard of Kerry Clark but the Clark name is a big deal uh, in hockey circles and a lot of that started with your brother, Don, who was a pretty big deal in the Western League, if I'm not mistaken. Could you talk about that? Sure. Um, Don, uh, Don, Don was the first, well, the first of uh, us three brothers going out. He kind of blazed the trail for Wendell and I. Uh, he ended up going to Notre Dame in 78-79, uh, then playing with the Yorkton Terriers and, and uh, Saskatoon Blades and uh, forged a very successful 
career in uh, management and coaching after his junior playing careers. He got in his, uh, I think, his 19-year-old year, he broke his leg really bad. I think that was 10 or 11 years old, and he broke his leg really bad, and it kind of sidelined his playing career. He could have went on. I, I, from from all the the talk that I heard, that he could have went on and, and went in the minors like I did, and pursued a career that way. But he he was uh, he was the brains I think behind all of us. Uh, he he had a brain for management. Uh, he was smart, articulate. He knew the game well, and uh, uh, he was very successful at what he did. He was a good people person. Um, who gave you the nickname Sharky? I got the nickname Sharky from Stu Grimson. Uh, I was I just finished in Notre Dame. Wendell was in Notre Dame two years before me, and I I went and tried out for the Regina Pats. Uh, I had a chance to either go for the Prince Albert Raiders, Regina Pats, or Saskatoon Blades, and and uh, uh, basically, mom and dad left it up to me where I wanted to go, and I did I didn't really want to go where Wendell was because everybody knows who's Wendell. <laughs> when yeah, it was yeah. tough shoes, tough shoes to follow. So <laughs> I just says I'll blaze my own path, my own way, and I did a lot of things my own way. A lot of people may shake their head at what I did, but uh, I did it my way. And and uh, my my first training camp in junior, or wasn't really my first one, but major training camp at 16, um, I got in a fight with Alan Acton, who was I think drafted by Detroit at one time. Brad Lauer for the Islanders, and uh, um, I, I got a fight with those two guys, and uh, came off the ice black and blue. They they uh, showed me the the, the role and the and the life of junior hockey in the first uh, two days of training camp, and I was playing with Stu on uh, our our blue and white team, I guess. And he came off and he looked at me and he goes, "Sharky," and uh, he called me the nickname Sharky, and it stuck. Um, so I didn't quite know where to fit this question in because I know for sure it started in junior, but I wasn't sure when. But you are the owner of the greatest hockey celebration. Uh, I know Theo Fleury, uh, is, he had that great celebration after that playoff goal. That was a one-shot deal. But you started doing the moonwalk followed by the three amigos. And I never actually asked you which team were you with when it started and how did that come about? Well, the, the, the moonwalk, everything started really is, okay, I, I was never a goal scorer and I wanted to get played and I wanted to be noticed. If you're on the ice, you don't get noticed. And, and if you're not stirring up trouble, the people will just tell you to get lost and all that. So I, I was actually, when I was, when Wendell's in Notre Dame, my dad took me to a game in Regina. This was, uh, this was early 80s. And Al Tour was, the captain, of the, I think the captain of uh, the Regina Pats back then, and I watched him come on the ice, and he did. Uh, he was doing a machine gun or riding a stick or whatever, and I said, "That's who I want to be, kind of like is Al Tour." And he was a character, very tough, very solid defenseman, well respected, uh, and and uh, so I, when I was younger at home, I do some stupid things like ride the stick you always hear about Tiger Williams do different things and so I, when I had a chance I scored my first goal was uh, in junior 
I, I scored on Ward Kompanasi for the Prince Albert Raiders. Meanwhile, not thinking much at that time, I got introduced to Dave Manson and Ken Blomberg <laughs> after I scored. So I did the after I scored. I said I'm going to do a dance like I used to do, just having fun. And, and I just said so. I did the moonwalk down the ice. The Three Amigos didn't come till later on, where the movie came out. And I said I'm just going to have fun with it. And one thing about it is when you only get five or six goals a year and you you know what I usually only did it at home or if I got really nothing no one really bothered me as in I was never scared of anyone from doing it like there wasn't a there wasn't on a guy on the other side of the bench going oh gee I hope they're gonna not gonna come on the ice I didn't care I not no one scared me and I said I wasn't the toughest guy but no one scared me. yeah and uh, so I did it I did it against the Prince Albert Raiders and that was the year I think they won uh, Memorial Cup okay. meanwhile we had to play Prince Albert a few more times after that well I uh, had to deal with Dave Manson and Ken Baumgartner, Baumgartner a few times and uh, you know they're well renowned uh, very uh, respected uh, uh, players in the league so that's and I go if I could deal with them I could deal with anybody and especially back then, uh, one of the things I was going to talk about with you a little bit later um, is the uh, Prince Albert flu that I've heard so much about when it was uh, Bomber and Manson and Rod Dahlman were on that team. But, uh, but yeah, that, 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 I guess that sort of answers another question I had. Why did you fight Ken Baumgartner so much? It seems like uh, when I was doing research for this, I think I had you fighting him eight or nine times uh, overall. So, uh, But a funny story about the uh, celebration. So... Last night on Twitter, I uh, you know I was excited to talk to you and everything, so I posted the uh, the celebration on Facebook and on Twitter. And uh, Jim McKenzie, he posted uh, he posted this uh, as a reply to that. Uh, him and Darren Kimball, he said uh, in junior he'd be moonwalking, and my coach would say, "Don't let him finish, don't let him finish." So uh, I did thought that was funny. That uh, I guess that would be against Victoria with Jim McKenzie. Well, Jim McKenzie was in Moose Jaw with Lyle Odelining at that time. Okay. And, and uh, I think he got traded to Victoria uh, later. But uh, Kimball came in after Bomber, Baumgartner, and Manson left. And there was Rod Dahlman, Kim, Darren Kimball, and Reed Simpson in, in PA. Yeah. And all three of them were solid, solid heavyweights. Like, yeah. Kim, Kimball and Tony Twist, was, it was every night. Like, yeah. I, I remember uh, I, I I fought to, uh, Kimball a couple times and I be I remember fighting him once and I was doing really good and all of a sudden he hit me with a haymaker and all I know is I was laying on the ice yeah and and uh, I just going well, I'm just glad I could skate to the penalty box <laughs> so so but that's how hard Kimball hit yeah and uh, but he had a good career and and uh, just like Reed did and he, Reed worked really hard and did well and and. Uh, same with Rod Dalvin. Rod was a solid player. I got we had we had some great battles against each other, and uh, we got to play in, uh, in Springfield together. Yeah. So you in Regina, uh, you played with a guy who I am a I'm a very a very very big fan of, uh, and he played a very short time with the Islanders, but he had a nice NHL career, and he's a really mellow guy. But I think he's tough as nails, and he could play. And that's Mark Jansons. Do you have any recollections of Mark Jansons during your time in Regina? Well, Mark and I were 16 years old uh, in Regina, and if you if there's a gentleman in hockey, that was Mark Jansen's. But he was a guy that 
you thought you could push her around, then he'd beat the living hell out of you. And Mark was probably the, uh, one of the toughest guys I've ever met, one of the nicest men I've ever met, and a good teammate, a great player. Um, I remember we were playing in Medicine Hat, and uh, they had a defenseman named, I think it was Stu Ennis. He was a 20-year-old, and we were both 16, and Stu thought he was going to take a run out of this 16-year-old Mark Jansen, and Mark Jansen cleaned his clock. Yeah. Like, it was something else. And uh, But he he was, uh, he never had a bad word to say about anybody, and uh, he, he's a class guy. I, got, I was lucky enough to play with him for that year in, uh, in Regina before I got traded to Saskatoon. I uh, I was like I said, I, you know, being in New York on the islands here, you get all the Islander games, all the Ranger games, and even though he was a Ranger, I just he was a guy I always respected, and he, he could play the game, and he was tough. And I'll never forget um, one time when uh, Killer came to town in Washington, he brought me all his tapes, all his fight tapes, and everything, and uh, I condensed them all into one. And, and I had never seen or heard of the incident with him and Jansons, and I, I said that kind of solidified it for me, where you know Killer. Did a did a pretty good job with uh, with the swing of the stick in his face, and even you know Jansen's he wasn't even mad. Like I'm sure he was upset, but uh, just when they were interviewing him and they go, "Do you have any ill will towards Kevin Kaminsky?" and he's like, "No, not really." You know, it's just like matter of factly, and I'm like, "Wow, I really really respect this guy." Yeah, like uh, it was it was a it was a tough because Mark and I were good friends in Regina, and Killer and I well, we we go farther back than junior hockey like we used to go to hockey school when we were 10 and 11 years old or not. oh is that right he was from Campsack and I was in Saskatoon I mean in Kelvington and we always went to the Bernie Federico Dennis Blanich hockey school in Yorkton so we were taught by Bernie Federico Ken Federico the Federico brothers Dennis Blanich Barry Melrose uh, everybody the Kasperas and the, all these guys that were around Yorkton that uh, Bernie and Dennis brought in for the when they had the hockey schools in Kent when they brought it in. Uh, that's how we grew up. We grew up going to their hockey schools, and Killer and I were always in the same age group, and we went to the hockey school together. And it was, it was, it was, I, I can still remember, I was on the ice and all this took place, and, and I'm going, two best friends are going at it, and I'm just going, oh, my God. Because yeah. I, I think uh, Jimmy Matheson and I, we ended up tangling during that whole incident, and Jimmy Jimmy's a great guy too. Yeah, he's a he's a quiet, tough guy too. Like he's a good defenseman, but very tough. And him and I ended up tangling. It's like it's, but when when you put the jersey on, the the flag on the front of your jersey is your team. And uh, I don't think uh, I can't remember if Mark and I ever tangled, but. Uh, if we did, if we if we did ever tangle, he must have took it easy on me. <laughs> you know, I will say this: you are very modest about uh, about your fights. Uh, everyone should know if they haven't seen you that you're tough as nails. So, uh, so, but I, I do I do always say you're always very complimentary towards the opponents that you respect. So, um, so you yeah. started you started with Regina, then you got traded to Saskatoon, and uh, I know a lot of times the first trade in a player's career is always the most difficult. How did you react to that? Well, it, it was, uh, I was, when I was in Regina, I was 17 years old, and I, uh, uh, Billy Moores and Bill Iskowich was coaching there, and then they actually traded me to Seattle. 
and uh, or Spokane actually, Spokane, Washington. Oh, okay. And and uh, when I found out in the morning, I talked to my mom and dad, and and they didn't want me to go to Spokane. They wanted me to stay out east in the eastern part of the Western Lake, and and uh, so what happened is I ended up I got traded for a goaltender in Spokane. Spokane traded me to Seattle. <laughs> And then Seattle traded me to Saskatoon for Brent Severn. Oh Another no! Tough. I didn't know that. Okay. So Brent Severn went to Sa- to Seattle, and Daryl Lupinicki got me to Regina or to Saskatoon. So oh. I was sitting home for two weeks in limbo, try for I'm trying to figure out this trade. <laughs> so that's where I was at. Oh okay. I, so, I, I, it, was, it was tough. It was tough, but uh, like. I've always said there's there it's it just the way it was, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be on a team uh, like uh, I, I loved being in Regina at the time, and the, and then Saskatoon Bay become my home, and I had a lot of great friends there, and and uh, three three years there of going to war. There's that little barn you'd have loved that little barn with when my first couple of years there, Kelly Chase and, and Tony Twist and myself. And Kevin Kaminsky, Dean Holine, uh, uh, Curtis Fishin, Tim Chevelday, Mark Reimer, like all these Corey Kosher, Jason Christie, Kevin Kaminsky. I like all these guys. Like no one likes coming into the small barn. It was a great barn for us to play. In. So you had mentioned earlier that you wanted to chart your own path and and not follow Wendell where he went, and then you end up in Saskatoon. So I guess a, a specific to Saskatoon, but more general question. When when Wendell Clark is your brother, um, does that put any additional pressure on you, or is it more? Is it something that you create for yourself, or is it just outside stuff constantly asking you about him? Well, it's just mainly outside stuff. I never really <laughs> Wendell. Wendell was Wendell was Wendell from the time you put on skates. He was fabulous, and uh, I did my own thing. I had fun and. Uh, Don and Wendell, I, they they broke the ice for me. They made it easier for me, so I was lucky for that. But I even going to Saskatoon as a junior player after being traded there, I never worried about what people thought. Geez, is it you like Wendell or not? Well, the only thing Wendell and I have in common in hockey is the parents, and uh, it's just it is what it is. And if someone has a problem with it, then it's their own problem. I did the best I could. I, I, I would. I don't think everybody asked me if would I change things, like as in doing the moonwalk or that. The moonwalk is what I did. I had fun. At no time in my whole career, someone came up and said, "Terry, don't do the moonwalk on this team." Or a GM or coach never ever said it. Maybe on the other team they don't like it or whatever. But I never did it 50 times a year. I did it two or three times a year, and that was it. But at no time in any part of my career that I, that any boss ever said, Terry, we don't want you to do that here, ever. The, um, the, it was important for me to ask you that because for as long as I've known you, you're pretty much a no-nonsense guy. And I always, I never ever got the impression, and again, I didn't know you in juniors, but just from knowing you, as long as I've known you, I never got the impression that the Wendell stuff was ever a big deal to you. I always kind of figured that that's the kind of guy you were. You were you, he was him. You weren't going to try to be him, and you were just going to play your game. That's always the impression I got. 
Well, that's I'd uh, lost a lot of sleep sleep if I tried to be Wendell because he's unique. Like uh, you got a lot of players out there that have brothers that are great great players. Yeah, and they're and they all try to make it in their own own way, and I just like I did, and I I was proud of Wendell. I'm proud of Don and and everything. So it, it's it's uh, you try to make your own way, and there's times where they shook their head at me, <laughs> and, get, and I go and I just smiled, and they just said, "Oh, that's scary." That's that, that's it, and I'm going. That, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't go through a brick wall for anybody. Yeah. And you could ask any player I played with or for. And once I put on that jersey, if there was a war, I was the first one going to war. Well, no question. No question. That's one of the things I admire about you so much. Um, your first, the first year with um, Saskatoon, one of the guys you played with is someone I ask everybody about that I interviewed that played with him, and that's Duncan McPherson. Um, Islander fans know him, um, you know, know that he was drafted first, uh, first round pick, and then all the unfortunate circumstances that uh, surrounded his disappearance and unfortunately his passing. Um, what kind of a player was Duncan? Duncan was a good team leader, good player. Uh, I I admired him. Um, he played with. I played against him for one year. Played with him for one year. Then he played in the Islanders farm team for one year then I then he went to Indianapolis uh, I only played with him really for one year before he left and he was a non no nonsense kind of guy hard working guy you never seen a guy work harder um, and he uh, he was a good teammate he did uh, he, he, he was always there for you and, and uh, I it, it's a it was a tragedy what happened to him we all wondered and then finally found out and, and uh, uh, felt for the family because in his person family, Derek, I knew Derek and uh, it's, uh, he was a good, he was a good brother, good son and a great teammate. Yeah, I, um, over the years I've gotten to know uh, his mom, Linda, uh, uh, for a while and I always tell her like she's the toughest lady I know because I couldn't imagine, you know, being a parent. I couldn't imagine going through something like that, and um, with her and what her and Bob have done and what they've been through, like I just tell her she's she's the most badass lady I think I know. So uh, you know, they just seem like a you know salt of the earth, good family, and uh, I'm not surprised that everyone has good things to say about Duncan. Yeah, like they've and and they they've always been uh, open arms and friendly and like it. it for, they never died away uh, like during the whole Duncan tragedy, and they just want to act like every mom and dad want. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, every one of his teammates who were behind them and, and uh, supported them, and, and uh, wish they could have done more for them. And, uh, I know it's, it's when you lose a child. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's nothing that uh, there's nothing that can bear it. No. Um, so at the end of that season with uh, Saskatoon, um, you were drafted by the Islanders, 10th round, um, 206 overall. So um, before that, had, had you met with the Islanders? Did you know they were interested? Did you think you were going to be drafted? I had no idea that I was going to get drafted. I was going to be a hope. Yeah. I was at the lake at the time and I found out that Terry Simpson called me. I gave, Terry became the head coach of the Islanders and... and uh, gave our family a call that I was drafted in the 10th round. Uh, 
I was very honored and, and uh, knew it was going to be a tough road because just the team and thought uh, that I was that I was going into they had a lot of players just like so it, it, it was an honor it's like it's an honor getting drafted by the NHL so I was very honored to that and it's just they have a lot of historic history and, and everybody knows about the, the four years and the players and when you went to training camp that season they still had a lot of players from the cup years so uh, and a lot of them were uh, Western Canadian I mean the most famous would be Brian Trottier um, another Saskatchewan boy so when you walk into that locker room and you see guys like Trottier, Bossy, Dennis Podvin Billy Smith and, and you're you're just a kid like what what are you thinking about that well, you're just in awe because you watch him on TV. Billy Smith, Bobby Nystrom, uh, Trache, Clark Gillies, uh, all these guys are just, they're legends, they're, they're monuments. As in, you're watching them play when you're between 15 and 19, you're watching them in awe. Like now you're going to training camp with them. And I got to play a couple a couple exhibition games with uh, the Amanda that year against the Rangers. And, and it, it, it was an awe, and I was 17 at the time, 17 turning 18, so it, it was uh, like, you kind of pinch yourself, did I even be here, and, and uh, but they were all class acts, I remember sitting in the, there was a steakhouse down from the restaurant, and I'm sitting there by myself, and I'm having something to eat, meanwhile, I think, uh, I think there is, uh, I think there is uh, Brent Sutter, and Bobby Nystrom, and then someone else, I think, I can't remember who it was, but I'm sitting there. So they're over in a they're over in a table, and they saw me sitting by myself, and they told me to come over and sit with them. Nice. They probably don't remember that, but I I remember because I'm in awe of them. Yeah. And uh, but uh, that's the kind of that's the kind of people they are. They're, they're very they're very given. And now in that training camp, aside from the legends that were still there, there were uh, Islanders were notorious for uh, drafting a lot of uh, tough players, especially from out west, guys that you you played against. So in that training camp, I just noted some guys like uh, uh, Brian Curran was there, Alan Kerr, uh, Gerald Diddick, Dale Henry, uh, Sean Byram, uh, Rod Dahlman, Rich Pilon. So I guess uh, I, were there any uh, any skirmishes in camp uh, in the uh, blue and white scrimmage games? Well, yeah, there was a few. I I actually uh, Dale Kushner was there from Madison Hatch. Robbie DeMaio was there from there. Uh, there was a couple scraps during. I got in a scrap with Vince Dakota uh, um, at one time. Uh, Bobby Bassin, um, but more of the scraps came. During the New Jersey Farm our games or the Rangers uh, our games, dinner squad games that you play, where I think I was in, we played. I think we played three games. I was in six fights in in three games. So it, like, you're you're busy. Like I remember after the third fight at Cadigan Park and we were against the Rangers, and it was my third fight in the game, and I got kicked out. And uh, the, one of the head scouts goes, goes to me goes. You keep this up, you only play a third of the season. <laughs> well, it, yeah, but it's just, it is what it is. But it, that's the way those games were. Like you, you had a lot of tough young players there, and 
we weren't just the only ones. There's New Jersey had them, and, and the Rangers had them. It, it was uh, you. You came. You came to play. When you uh, when you returned to Saskatoon from camp, so uh, Kelly Chase was still there, and Killer had played a few games at the end of the previous season, but now he's there full time, and Tony Twist is there. So now, and Jason Christie. So now you guys, between you, Killer, Chaser, and Twist, you got you guys kind of have a pretty strong foursome there. Um, what was that like going into other buildings? I can't imagine you guys were ever intimidated. No, no one ever intimidated. It's like we we kind of we all knew what our jobs were, and it, it like at any time you you have Tony on the ice, anything could happen because you just know it. And uh, the, and Kelly, he plays his heart out. He's a great team, team uh, a captain and assistant, and he, he led the team by his by his play. And then you got Killer. Well, you don't call him crazy Killer for anything. He, 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 he'd chop down a tree for you and like he would just go through a wall for you. Yeah. And I remember I remember the one year where they had a buy, the top two teams had to buy. And Marcel was coaching and there was Metapat, Austin PA. And we're all but trying to get Metapat was leading in our division. And we had to win nine out of ten games to get this spot. We just didn't the only team, the only time we did brawl was the game that we didn't win. Oh, wow. We brawled nine of the ten games, and we got that buy. We wanted that buy to give that extra week of just to practice, heal up, and go for that. And we brawled nine of the ten games. Like line draw, like full-scale line draw. Didn't matter what team it was. It was you could be down 3-2, brawl. Up 3-2, brawl. Just seemed like that how we, we did things like we, we set the tone not our goal score set the tone by scoring our defense set the tone by stopping everybody coming in and uh guys like tony and kelly and killer and corey culture and, and uh, all these players we all set the tone and do not push the mess around if you're going to beat it you're going to beat it you're going to be hurting when you leave and if I'm not mistaken, didn't you play a good portion of that season with Killer and Jason Christie on the same line? Quite a bit. They just, Marcel used me both forward and defense, back and forth. And uh, it was uh, just like in pro, I played forward and defense at all the times where they needed me at the time. I, I was always at uh, third line extra or, or whatever because of, of just the way I was playing. So I never penalty killed and I never power played, but I just you need a defense to go back to defense play. There's times I played half a season defense. This, like I said, this was the one season, not the, not the one season, but the first season where you, the four you guys played. So is there one story that you can tell me that may, that involved, the craziest Saskatoon Blade story that you can tell me when you were there? Well, there's a lot of crazy stories like on and off the ice <laughs> we're all uh, we're all pretty good and, and on the ice is, we just had a like Kelly Chase and uh, uh, was a good leader and our captain was Jack Bolkus and, and all these guys were good leaders Brian Glenn um, they they kept us together they made sure we but we always knew that 
we we're always rubbing our hands. Okay, are we going to cause a call tonight? Or I remember one story. I remember one story. We were playing PA, and this is during that that series where the last nine games, and we had to play PA once. And I think Hiller hit Kent and Ryan in the corner of the goalie, and the Kent and Ryan that played for drafted by Buffalo Sabres, and, and uh, he's the goalie, and he hit Killer or Killer hit him in the corner. Meanwhile, there's guys brawling, and all of a sudden. Uh, Darren Kimball and Reed, I think it was Kim, one of the players goes by our bench, off their bench. And this is a full-scale brawl in Saskatoon. And then basically all of a sudden I jumped my turn and I jumped <laughs> on the ice and I chased them down, caught them before they get to the, get to the, uh, the brawl where a killer was beating up Kent Ryan. Mm. But, um, but it, there's so many stories like where do you start and where do you stop? <laughs> like, it, is this one brawl after another to to uh, set the tone that you don't push us around kind of thing, but we had a lot of fun. And I have it uh, your next year, eighty seven, eighty eight. So you go to camp again with the Islanders. So the first camp is your first NHL camp. You go in and you have all those legends still playing there, and you got a lot of young kids there. But now you're going into your second camp. So do you approach that second camp any different than the first one? No, because well, you're trying to make the team. Like it, you're very, I'm a. You gotta be realistic. I'm a tenth round player. I'm uh, a fringe player. There's only going to be two or three people that make it. Like the New York Islanders. There's only who you, whose spot are you going to take? Right. So the only spot that I'm taking is Mitch Bakota, and he's not going to be taken. He's new there. He's a heavyweight, and he's good. And going, you're going in there to hopefully they see you for the future or someone else sees so so at the end of the day uh, you're just trying to put a put your character on the line to say okay you like him for a future or you move on kind of thing so do the best you can so this this uh, training camp there is um, for someone like myself there I, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of uh, I've had I've owned I've traded hundreds and hundreds of fight videotapes and a game there was a rookie game that happened at the Nassau Coliseum uh, with you guys in the Rangers and I have it on good authority all the fights started in this game uh, because someone scored a goal and did the moonwalk in the three amigos is that correct well there's a good chance of it <laughs> but that is so far far away I remember scoring a game yeah and there's yeah like I there's a good chance I, I uh, scored one of those games, and and I, I remember, uh, yeah, it, a lot of stuff was caused by that. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said before, I said there wasn't a guy on the other bench that said, "Oh boy, I better not do it tonight because he's there." Yeah. So, uh, it just it is it is what it is. But uh, I know I I caused a lot of headaches as in. Okay, there's another bench clearing brawl or a five on five, or, but I knew my team that I played with. And so, uh, this this was this rookie game that I'm talking about. The the first hand account I got was actually from Dean Yu, and he told me that uh, you scored the goal, you did the dance, and he looks over at the Ranger bench and he said he sees them passing around jars of Vaseline. So he goes, "All right, I guess it's on now." So. Uh, and that game was crazy. You had uh, 
I know Mick Lakota fought Mark Tenorti a couple of times. I know uh, you fought Don Herzeg. Um, Dean fought Rudy Poshek a couple of times. That is, uh, for me, that's the one game, if I could go back and get it on video, I'd love to see it because it sounds like my kind of game. Well, there's six guys there that I'm not even counting myself in there. I go, there you got you need five guys that are heavyweights going, <laughs> dressing in the same lineup. I'm going, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great that I had a good uh, sense of humor teammates where they, they'd laugh at with you and go to war with you also. Yeah. So it, uh, it, it was the same thing. If someone did something to our players, then uh, we'd be doing the same thing. And and uh, But it's great that I knew that when you have when you have Dean Ewan and Mick Lakota and Rod Dahlman and Dale Kushner on your team, you're not worrying about the uh, like you're going okay if I'm in the same category thank you but I know I'm not but I'm not worrying about too much because there's no one I look at the other band and go there's nothing that scares me so if we're not scaring me they're definitely not scaring the guys wow some of us would put you in the category with them just uh, just for the record so um, when you went back to Saskatoon again it's it's the four of you guys and I have it counted that you ended up with 30 fights that year. I can't even imagine. I mean, I would imagine all four of you guys were probably good for 15 to 20 fights, and you had 30. And a couple of the names that um, that I had you fighting, uh, I had you fighting Darren Kimball a couple of times, uh, Link Gates you fought once, Sean Byram, uh, Prince Albert. Uh, anything stand out to you with some of those names? Well, you you, you fight Darren Kimball, and they're going... Yeah. yeah, that was one of the times that he laid me out. That one time, and, okay. and uh, it's it's it, he was a heavyweight. Heavyweight is the heavyweights, and that's yeah. why he played for Ashley Sean Byram, solid guy. Mm-hmm. Played with Regina Pack Canadians together. Played for the Prince Albert Raiders. Played junior with our semi-pro with them for a year. Lived with them in Springfield together. Him and Robbie DeMaio. Okay, and he's a solid guy that. Uh, he wasn't a fighter, but he could fight if he had to. Yeah. He had better hands. He was smart. He knew what he was doing. He didn't want him to fight. Mm-hmm. But let uh, guys like me do that. Yeah. And, uh, but every team has someone. Like, he had, in, in, uh, I remember, in, uh, I remember with Marcel, we did a lineup in, uh, playing Utah Warriors. And, uh, so, we put Tony Twist, myself, Kelly Chase, Kevin Smithy, and, who may be Dean Holine or something out of sports. And he dressed Lyle Holine, Patsy Shane, uh, uh, Mike Keenan, and, and all these guys. So we here at the end of the day, because it was a starting lineup, I'm playing right defense. And uh, puck drops, everybody drops their gloves. Mike Keenan skates, skates right at me. Everybody picks the player on the opposite move. I understand from the from Mushja, before the puck was they came out everybody picked a player was set, they, they wanted to set a tone in the game okay and so hmm. Mike Keenan drops his gloves comes right at me and he, he, that was the first real lefty I realized I had to start learning how to throw left yeah and Mike Keen is no slouch I put him in the same category as Wendell yeah. and tough mm-hmm. and tough as nails under underrated tough. I mean, I think once he got to the NHL, he fought a little less. But every time he fought, he had a really good fight. If I remember, with Bill Guerin in New Jersey, just toe to toe, and 
uh, no, he's definitely very tough. Well, exactly, and, and that's the thing. You you accept the guys that you don't get beat up against. You fight Kenny Baumgartner, yeah, he beat me up. Okay, but you fight someone that's no name, then he kicks the heck out of you and going, okay, where did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you expect what people expect because you know the quality of who you're fighting. Yeah. And then, then you get someone new, and then it's, okay, you got to read up on him now. So... So you got to learn learn different things. So the next season after um, after camp with the Islanders, um, I guess you had no more junior eligibility, and you went to Springfield. And in Saskatoon, you had yourself and Twister and, and Kelly and Killer. And down in Springfield, uh, maybe there wasn't a Tony Twist on the roster, but the sheer numbers that you had of guys down there that played physical, and, and I'll just rattle off some names. Names we've already mentioned um, that you played against in the Western League. And now you guys are all on one team. Uh, a guy like Rod Dahlman and, and Sean Byram and Kushner, uh, Mike Stevens and uh, Dale Henry and Duncan, Rob DeMaio, and then later in the year, Dean Ewan comes along. So uh, uh, for a guy like yourself who plays physical, when you're on a team with all these physical players, does it make your job easier? Or is it more competitive? How, how do you go into that sort of situation? Well, it's... You can't real. You have no control over what the coach wants. You just here. Here's who I am. And the first year was good. And I got to play with Robbie and Sean quite a bit, and uh, it was good. But uh, when you're playing, like in in juniors, I think Dale Kushner scored 40 or 50 goals in the year. Robbie DeMaio was a 50 goal scorer. Ro- Sean Byron was a 30 goal scorer. Uh, guys like that. Um, Dalman. I think he was 25 to 30 in junior. Uh, all these guys, they were solid heavyweight fighters. But I noticed in the minors, like uh, I played 10 years in the minors. So I noticed there's minor league heavyweight, then there's NHL heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And like all these guys were great, great uh, fighters. Like uh, every one of them, Rod Dalman. You give the shirt off your back and go to war. I've seen him fight so many times. And same with Dale Kushner. I thought Dale, I thought Dale was a fabulous player and tough as nails. And uh, Robbie DeMaio, well, I think he played 15 years in the National Hockey League and he's tough as nails. Yeah. And uh, they, they're all good players. And and uh, when you're when you're put in the category, it, it's there's only four right wingers that are going to address the game. And you're not going to be, a, and I'm not going to be the first and second, third line. I know I'm not. So you're battling for that fourth line, or maybe third line, or the the extra guy, or maybe a fifth defenseman, or something like that. So you you you, you kind of know where you stand, but you and you could read numbers. Yeah. And uh, it is what it is. Yeah. And so that year was good, but halfway through the second. 20 games into the second year, I thought, I think I sat for 20 games. I played 20, then, then uh, my second year, uh, Christmas, or the 26th of December, Jimmy Roberts and Bill Torrey called me in, and they said they traded me to Phoenix. So, it's just that there's just a sheer number. Yeah. Like, they're, they just can't keep you around because they they're going, okay, who do you want? So they got to pick who they want. Yeah. So uh, 
talk about Ken Baumgartner for a second. So everybody that I've interviewed that played in the West and played in the American League, uh, the word that always comes up is uh, maybe not from the guys, but from fans or whatever. I, I've always heard that Ken Baumgartner terrorized the Western League. Ken Baumgartner terrorized the American League. And I'm not saying that anyone was necessarily afraid of him, but he knew what his job was and he was very good at it. And like I and you, you're very humble about your abilities and what you've done. But up until your all your junior years in this first year in Springfield, I, I like I said, I have it down that you fought the guy eight times, and I know you're not afraid of him. But you know, you you fought one of the toughest guys in in both leagues eight times, and I'm sure you never took a backward step. And I just think that says a lot about you. And also that that year in Springfield, you fought Troy Crowder, and you fought both of the Roberts brothers in the same game. So I I think you're I think maybe you might be selling yourself short. Well, no, I, I, I know what I know what my abilities were. I knew, I knew how tough all these other guys were. Like I, I, I speak humbly because I, I respect what they. I see what I had to see what they were going through with through their eyes. Maybe they look at it differently than I do, but I, I know that, uh, like I fought Tony Twist. I fought uh, Baumgartner. I fought uh, Link Gates. I fought. The Robert brothers, one of the toughest guys I've ever fought is Sergio Bird. Yeah. Then game out. I don't know if there's a tougher guy that ever fought, as in doing the job. And I think he's fought everybody. Yeah. And and uh, like Bomber was the like I said the American League or IHL. There's minor league heavyweight and there's NHL heavyweight. Kenny Baumgartner was an NHL heavyweight. It, it, it is what it is. He's a Joey Kosher. He's a Stu Grimson. He's a Kenny Baumgartner. He's a Dave Manson. He's a they're they're they're. I think that like I know everybody talks about Bob Probert, but I don't think there's any tougher two people in the league than Joey Kosher and Dave Brown. Yeah. Um, like they're they're scary, and and it, you you put Bomber in those those things. I'm going. When I fought Bomber, I used to think about how I was going to fight him to get out of the fight, <laughs> as in get through the fight. Yeah. Because you, every one of those fighters goes the same thing. It's like, how do I stop this guy? How do I beat him? Or how do I, how do I beat him? Yeah. I, you don't, I'm not going into the fight to say how do I get away from Danny, but you're going into a fight. How do I beat him? Because that they're thinking how. I was going to put Terry Clark down, mm. there, and that's what they're thinking. So I got to think the same way. And uh, but uh, I have a lot of respect for them. I, I have a lot of respect for I a lot of respect for Kenny, and he he did well in his career. and uh, uh, probably one of the smartest guys off the ice. From what yeah. I understand, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's still working in finance <laughs> now. Well, everybody's going to need him now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I feel exactly the same way you do about Sergio Berge, and obviously people know Mario uh, was no slouch either. How much oxygen might one need after a game where you fight both of them in the same game? Well, I remember that was one of the last times I fought. Uh, I don't know. I fought uh, Serge and Mario that game because Lyle Lodeline. Lyle Lodeline best friends growing up. We fought two times. It, it drove down our gravel road by our farm. It'll go right by their farm in Quill Lake. 
Lyle and Selmer and Leo and Line. And Lyle and I grew up against each other playing, and the role we ended up trapping a couple times. I remember going out to dinner and he gave me and Lyle going to the restaurant. But he was playing with Sherbrooke. Uh, we went out for a pre-game meal, and they ended up fighting the scenario that that day, that that game. But they both they were both solid fighters. They both, I think, Bird got a game in or two in the National Hockey League. And Mario played for a few years, and uh, they, were, they were tough players. Yeah, Serge ended up actually having a fight here at the Coliseum against Baumgartner uh, when he was at the Islanders. They were a pretty good fight, you know, and. Uh, I'm I'm happy I'm happy for Serge that he got those games in. I mean Mario played a nice amount of games with Montreal. He won the Stanley Cup, uh, but the fact that Serge got to play a few NHL games, I always thought was a great thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh. We tried to get one game in. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up in Indianapolis for three games? Was it just they they had too many guys? Well, um, that year that was uh, first year Sean Byron. And I were in Hershey, played a game in Hershey, and he got sent to because the Indianapolis was the third, the third team for the Islanders. Mm-hmm. So Archie Henderson was coach there, and we we ended up going down playing three or four games for Indianapolis that week for those sort of players, okay. and back up to Springfield after that. Did you uh, did you like playing for Archie? Oh, Archie was a blast. I, I enjoyed it. But all the team was good. We playing in the old uh, fairgrounds there. It was, uh, it was a good, good time. It was a good time. So, uh, you, you made reference to the following season, and I actually have a question from one of your former teammates. Uh, I discussed this with Dean Ewan, and he wanted me to ask you. He said there was a practice where uh, he was on a line with you and Sean Byram, and you guys were just doing a very basic drill. And you, you and Sean ended up fighting three times. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunate, but I don't. Like, I, I think I, uh, like I know I've said to a few people around here, I, I go, it's a uh, long time ago, and I, I, Sean is a good friend, and I'm going, I'm surprised I don't remember that. Well... He's my next interview, so if uh, if he remembers, I'll pass along what he says to you. Because Dean just it, Dean said he goes, you know, it's my first full year pro, and the, my line mates are fighting. They break you guys up. You fight again. They break you up. You fight again. And he goes, I'm just standing there going, am I supposed to grab somebody? I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. So he could have grabbed both of us throwing us around. Well, he just like he said, he goes, I didn't know what to do, or you know, so uh, he just figured you guys would be exhausted. No, I like it. it's kind of funny. You, you you battle on the ice and you're frustrated, I guess. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the day, you go for a beer. Uh, one of the guys you mentioned uh, from Prince Albert, uh, Reed Simpson. I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, this is the type of stuff that I that I know because I have a lot of information in my head that I can never make money off of. But uh, you were actually Reed Simpson's first regular season professional fight. Yeah, Hershey and Springfield. Yes, you were his first pro fight. Yeah, it was a doozy. I have a picture of it. I, I could send it to you. Sounds good. No, no I remember that wholeheartedly. Oh, okay. <laughs> How'd that go? Oh, it was good. Reed's a tough character. Yeah. No, it was a good fight. 
we fought a couple times in junior too, I think. And but that, that was a no. That was I remember in Hershey, yeah, or it was in Springfield, and I think it was in Springfield. Yes, it was. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was playing with Hershey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so um, that season there was a, a a fight legend playing in the American League in New Haven, a man named Nick Fatiu. And I know at one point you guys had squared off, but nothing had happened. And I know um, Dean had a similar situation where, where he squared off with Nick and nothing happened. He said, but uh, Fatiu said something like, you know, make it count, kid, or here's your chance. Any conversation while you were squaring off with Nick Fatiu? Well, there's two incidents in my whole 14 years that I, I kind of regret as in, Okay, I did something stupid, and I should have never done it. Okay. With, with Nick Fatio, I, rem- I remember this whole artery. So Nick Fatio, I, I, was, I wasn't playing a lot, and I was playing in Springfield, and I knew my time was up. I had something like this, Nick playing. I remember Nick Nick playing for the Calgary playing, playing, uh, fighting. I watched him play when I was uh, So I signed up. I always keep it close to myself almost. And we're down to something. So Nick, you gotta go. Nope, not good. I ended up stupid. And we squared he just took his head at me and I just squared off. And there is fought with him. There's there's uh that was one incident that I did. I've never done that to anybody. Yeah. That that was one time I'm going. Okay, I do. Like I've seen a lot of stuff. Like I've fought a lot of guys, a lot of checks or whatever. But that wasn't in my character. But I, I just, I'm not going to get him to fight. Yeah. And and I just took the back of my blade and hit the back of the cage out from under him and. and in the fuck jobs and that was it. And so, okay, one of we never squared off. Or we squared off but we never fought. He gives you know, all I can remember is watching him fight his ankle and he's squaring off with his arms and looking like the boss but that's all I need is take one of the right job. <laughs> I know so that was, was one of my that was out of all my career that was one of my regrets that that wasn't like me. Yeah. I know uh, Dean said the thing he remembers about it was that it looked like Fatiu had Vaseline, his whole face covered in Vaseline, and he said the size of his fists. He just he couldn't believe what he was looking at, and uh, he said fortunately he didn't get hit with one of them, but uh, he just said that uh, just looking at the guy's fist, he was just in awe of him. Yeah, no, I could understand that. And so what precipitated the, the, uh, the trade to Phoenix? Well, I wasn't playing, and Jimmy Roberts was, was I think, about three or four weeks earlier that they were trying to send me down to the East Coast, mm. and I refused to go. I just practiced my ass off. And he, at first, he was kind of like encouraging, what do you think, what do you think? Then, from what I understand, Bruce Pedro signed with Phoenix, and at that time, they played Salt Lake City something like 22 times that year, and they played them five times, and they had guys like... Uh, Stu Grimson, Rick Hayward, Kenny uh, uh, Sabrin, Sherla, uh, all these different players 
on on Calgary farm team in Salt Lake City, and Phoenix had no one. All they had was Kevin McDonald from yeah. from uh, he played a few years, and yeah. but uh, Kev, Kev was there. He was the only guy, and Bruce there just getting beat up. So like it was just uh, a war going. In. So so uh, on twenty sixth. We, I, I, I think I missed like 15 games where I didn't play. I don't know how many games. I, I could be wrong on that, but I didn't play for a long time. Then all of a sudden they dressed me uh, the the 26th to play Maine Mariners in, in Portland, Maine. Mm-hmm. And so we go to the game. I play the game in Maine. I fight Bruce Kubelon. Get off the bus in Springfield at 4 in the morning or 3 in the morning. Al Torrey is there, or uh, Bill Corey's there, and uh, and they called me into the office, and Bill and uh, Jimmy Roberts said, "Yeah, we just traded you to Phoenix." And, and I said, "Okay." Uh, so I, I drove, I went back to my apartment, packed up my apartment, and I left because Phoenix was playing in two days in Fort Wayne. Okay. And I drove from Springfield, Mass, to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and got there for the game. I drove straight through. And I got there for the game. I ended up fighting Scott Connacy and someone else that game. Then they were on their way. Fly, they had to fly back to Phoenix. And it took me two and a half days to fly, drive to Phoenix from Phoenix. Or I mean, from Fort Wayne, mm-hmm. Indiana. So I drove to Phoenix. I got in at 3 in the morning in Phoenix. And that's, that's how I got to Phoenix. Were you, uh, was it something that you welcomed because you weren't playing at all in Springfield? Was it, did you look at it as a way to, to just get back into the game, really? Because I see that you played 38 games, and you, uh, in 38 games you put up 262 penalty minutes, so uh, you jump right back in. Well, yeah, like it, it wasn't, uh, it, it gave me a chance to play and be a pivotal role. Like when you, there wasn't, a, there wasn't five players like me on the team. Yeah. There was always a chance for me to be involved in something. Like uh, it, it was uh, like I, I think I fought Stu Grimson three or four times, Rick Hayward three or four times, Martin Samard one. Uh, different people like Lynn Gates, like all these guys. They had no one in there but they, they, except Dave McDonald. Dave and I was uh, Kevin, not Dave, Kevin McDonald and I were, were uh, like, okay, what are we going to do tonight? And it was. Bruce needed some room. Yeah. I, that's what I was hoping to give him, some room. And then, um, so I played there. And they ended up getting a guy named Dave Richter. He used to play for for uh, St. Louis. Yeah. So he got ballroom. And, uh, but that, that Gary Unger and uh, them having me there... <coughs> gave me a chance to show what I do and I think that gave me a possibility where I ended up signing in Calgary and playing in Salt Lake for three years with Bobby Francis. Yeah, you, you like you say, you fought Hayward a couple of times I think. Um, not not um, Salt Lake guys but you, you fought Danny Vial and Rudy Poshek when they were in Flint. Uh, Richard Zemlak um, and I, according to the list that I have in, in a 12 game span to end the season you fought Link, and then you fought Stu Grimson three times. So you had four fights against two of the probably the toughest guys in the league in a 12-game span to end the year. Yeah, I was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, 
Uh, this is a public service announcement. Everybody, uh, I mean, Tony Twist, he's Tony Twist. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. And Tony Twist it always talks about how he fought the best man in his wedding three times. Yeah. Who's the, who was the best man in his wedding? Oh, that was me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every time I hear him say, I fought the best man at my wedding, I'm like, say his name, say his name. Now, is it true that Loser bought pizza? Yeah. Yeah, I remember him telling me that years ago. Loser bought pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that's all, that's all uh, so obviously, the way you played against Salt Lake City had to be why Calgary was interested in signing you, I would imagine. In training camp that year, uh, the only fight that I'm aware of that you had, you could have had others, but I, I see that you fought Daryl Stanley when he was trying to make Winnipeg. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, I, was, I uh, got in a fight. It was a game in Saskatoon against Winnipeg, and, and uh, yeah, it was a good. I did well in that fight. Well, you, you must have felt like a home game if you were in Saskatoon. Exactly. Nice. Very nice. Um, so. This team you played on, now this was some year that you had. Uh, I just want to tell the people your numbers because this is pretty staggering. Uh, in 1990-91, you played 62 games, 28 points, including 14 goals, and 372 penalty minutes. That is a pretty impressive season, especially when you consider you didn't do the job alone. Um, guys like Paul Cruz, who was a guest on the show already, uh, Darren Banks, uh, Rick Lassard was there, Richard Zemlack, Martin Samard. Uh, just talk a little bit about that team and the dynamic with the with all you tough guys on that team. Well, well, Cruiser, good, really good friend, probably one of the toughest guys I've ever met. I don't think I've ever seen him lose a fight when I played him. Mm -hmm. uh, tough as nails and uh, hardworking, good shot, great teammate, great friend, and. Uh, the, uh, we had a lot of fun out on the ice. It's like, okay, who are we going to get tonight? Yeah. And uh, then, uh, like, Doc Zemelak, Doc and I, where he was in Pittsburgh, played in McKee, and we ended up fighting when I was in Phoenix, and yeah. he ended up in Calgary. And uh, the Doc, needless to say, Doc used to play against my older brother, Don. Mm -hmm. uh, Doc. Uh, Tom Doc, uh, he grew up in Winyard. That's only 50 miles from where I grew up. Okay. So uh, we ended up we actually roomed together in, in Salt Lake City that year, and uh, it was a really good thing. And then you got Banksy. Well, Banksy, he, he was in Salt Lake when I was in Phoenix, and 
the public enemy number one in, in when I was in Phoenix and he was in Salt Lake and his best friend in Salt Lake City and it used to be just he'd be on one wing and I'd be on the other and we'd just terrorize everybody. <laughs> and uh, like like Paul think about Paul, Paul Paul was up and down the Calgary. So he was he'd play half a season and be half a season in Calgary and Banksy and I'd be there all year, Doc and I'd be there all year. And uh, Rick Lassard was tough defenseman too, and Stan Owens. He caused enough trouble every time he got hit. I went after the guy to hit him. Mm. That's that's where a lot of those penalty minutes come from. <laughs> um, one of the guys um, you did very well in a fight against that year was a young Gino Ojic. Now I know uh, I don't know if his feelings ever changed as his career went on, but I know Twister didn't really care too much for Gino. Young Gino in Milwaukee and early in Vancouver. Um, do you have any issue with Gino or just a fight? I only played Gino once, or maybe an exhibition again a couple times. But that one game in Salt Lake, I think uh, I fought him there once in the corner in Salt Lake. Did well. Yeah. It was a good fight. I think I got called up the next. He got called up the next week and never ever played in the minors again. Yeah, really. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going, geez. All these people get called up after I fight them. But, uh, oh, Gino was a tough hombre. He was a tough man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have, um, <clears throat> actually, Paul had sent me uh, a tape with a lot of the uh, Salt Lake fights. And there was an incident where you ended up fighting on the Kansas City Blades bench, but the camera got there late. So I don't know who you were going after. Do you remember that incident? I remember fighting Kansas City. I can't remember who it was. I think I think Paul had a hold of. Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Paul had a hold of. Called uh, uh, him Repo. Uh, trying to think of his Is that De Palma? Larry De Palma. He Paul Paul was throwing around Larry De Palma. Okay. And uh, I can't remember who I chased into the bench in Did Kansas. So Did they have, um, was Kevin Evans there and Nodgers, were they there at the time? Nodgers and Evans were up in, uh, I think by that time, up in, because uh, I remember Nodgers and Evans at the start of the season was down in Kansas City. Nodgers mm -hmm. had a really good start of the year, and he got called up, and I think with Evans, okay. and they called up, and they, the rest of that year, I don't think they came back down. Maybe okay. for a two, but... They rarely played in Kansas City after that, but uh, I can't remember. I was always chasing someone around. Though. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure if you remember. I was always curious when I saw that because the camera got there late and you couldn't tell. But that's okay. Um, so in the next season in Calgary, so you had that amazing year with Salt Lake, and so we, you know you talked about going into camp with the Islanders and the chances of you making the team with the Islanders. Um, but after the season you had in Salt Lake, and when you go into Calgary's camp in 91-92, do you think you have a chance to make the team, or, or are you just there and you, you know you're going back to Salt Lake? Well, my first year my first year in Calgary, uh, they talked about that. I ended up fighting Ronnie Stern, Luke Simpson, and Tim Hunter. In the first, in their blue, like there were three different teams in the, uh, whatever happened, and those three in a squad games I fought guys did really well. Oh, okay. And I got the game against Winnipeg, and I played a game against uh, uh, against Pittsburgh. 
and uh, then then the next year, I think that's when Dougie Eyebrow took uh, that's when Dougie Eyebrow took over again, and, and uh, Dave King was the coach. And basically, at the start of camp, they called it a and so I went with the four of us, five of us, in category. So we were like the black bars, the black piece of the thing. We practiced at 7 a.m. every morning. And then when everything got cut, we got sent down to Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. So I was told right away at the, at the start by Dave King and, uh, and uh, Dougie Risebrow, no matter what you do, you're not going to make the team. And, and rightly so, like, you look at it, now I kind of giggle at it, because you have Ron Stern, a well-rounded good player. You have Tim Hunter, who's been a legend. Like, you're not going to take these guys off unless something really has gone wrong. Right. Like, you're like you're wanting to make a team, but they're, like, how do you, you unless they're going on a total shift where they want out or there's something wrong. And these guys are well-established, good players. So you're not going to have a guy making $30,000 a year that's going to take a guy making $150,000 that's never played in the league. Meanwhile, these guys have got 200 games in the league. So, and those are the roles that I would have had to take over. Well, that is what it is. Um, that camp, 91-92, and he became your teammate the following season, but that was your first look at Sandy McCarthy, if I'm not mistaken. The Sandman. Oh, he was a tough character. I've seen him throw some guys around. He, he was up there with Tony Twist and Paul Cruz, and, but he, he was a man. In the, he was a man in the minors. Like, he was... Uh, He's like one of those guys that, okay, you're going to the minors to get playing because we want you to get better to play in the national hockey league. And that was, that was sad, man. He was a, and he had good hands, too. Yeah. So, uh, he, he was a, he was a man amongst us. Even as a kid? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's 20 years old and we're, I'm, what, 24? But, but still, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, you could tell that he's, the next level. It's like like you have Joey Bocher, Dave Brown, or these guys as heavyweight, and you have being as a heavyweight minor. Well, there's not even a there's not a there's not even a comparison. He was a, he was up there with the big guys. Yeah. So it is what it is. With um with all the guys you played with in your career, you played with uh, a lot of characters. Uh, the guy I'm going to ask you about now in Salt Lake takes a backseat to nobody in the character department, and that's the bird dog, Greg Smith. Oh, was he something? <laughs> do, you have, do you have any good bird dog stories from your time together? I only got, you know what, I got to play with him uh, for about a week and a half where he got sent down from Calgary. Okay. And him and I, they roomed me with him in, in our road trip to mm. San Diego and Phoenix and all these times. And he, There'd be times we'd be, we'd go out on the road, and he says, "Okay, Clark, don't worry, we'll rent a plane to fly home." <laughs> and I said, "You can't do that." Well, I can't do that. I know you might be able to, but I can't. <laughs> but, uh, but he was a uh, he was he was a dressing room. He he loosened up the dressing room. Yeah. yeah, he could play, and he he's one of those guys who he loosens up the dressing room because 
nothing bothered or you didn't show it anyway. Yeah. And that, and you need guys like that because then you can just, you just decompress with everything. Gotcha. I, I mean, it, when he, unfortunately, when he passed away, you know, most of the guys that I know, uh, you know, that played hockey are guys like yourself that played physical style and everything. So anyone that ever played with him, you know, it, it's just everyone was so emotional because he touched so many people. Like, you just see this madman, for lack of a better word, but then when you hear the stories from people, he just had the biggest heart and he just cared about so many people that it was a real tragedy when he passed. Um, so in my intro, I had mentioned that uh, you actually played for uh, two of my favorite American League teams, and how that came about was in uh, after ninety two ninety three, the Islanders moved their affiliate to the IHL, and I loved the American League, and I didn't have a team to root for, so uh, I scoured the rosters and everything, and I came across um, I guess Baltimore, Washington had moved their affiliate from Baltimore to Portland. And there were a few names that stood out, uh, Kevin Kaminsky and Brian Curran and Jeff Serka and Kerry Clark. So uh, I sort of glommed on to you guys, uh, starting with your first year in Portland, because I figured you guys were going to be uh, the type of team I would enjoy watching. And uh, little did I know that your coach from back then would end up coaching my favorite team years later. So uh, what was that like, uh, getting back together with Killer and playing with Brian Curran and uh, guys like that in Portland? Well, I was very lucky. Like, we got to, when Trotsky got a hold of me and said, we want you to come to Portland and Washington, and, and uh, I was thrilled. And, and I knew how big a hockey town in Portland was, like when it was a man. And uh, I tell you, playing in Portland was the Out of all my school, like, I played a lot of nice places. But it was and all these. There was nothing like, Playing in Portland was like playing in Saskatoon. Like it wasn't the biggest city, but I can tell you, we packed that place every night. The town just loved it. And having play, playing with guys like Santa, Mike Santa, Taylor, and Matheson, and, and uh, uh, Jeff Durka. Uh, I got to play against Jeff when I was in Salt Lake. He was in the office, and he was playing there. And then, then he had some great players, like the Nelson Brothers, PA. And uh, we, we had uh, some good other players. They came in, um, uh, Fenton, Fenton, and we had uh, uh, really good players that led us. Uh, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but we'd go to war. Our first game, the first season, not her, our first game of the season in, in uh, Portland was a away game in Providence. Yeah. Well, their goalie was the goalie I played with in Phoenix. Their one defenseman I thought was a guy I roomed with in Salt Lake, uh, Darren Stokes. Mm. And the other captain, Jamie Hustroff, the guy I fought in that game also, he was the captain of Madison Half when I was, when we played junior, but we always, we probably fought four or five and we went in there and we ended up setting the phone to have a bunch of in the game and we beat them in the first opening game in Providence and uh, we were looking and Todd and Todd and Jeff Nelson were looking at the bench and they got me, Taylor and Brian Kern and 
all this going on on the ice, I was going to ask you about that because in the NHL, those two guys are a terrific combo. In the American League, they must have just dominated. Oh, it was scary. It was like it didn't matter who you put in, the bowler or the It was just like, okay. And at the end of the year, they had to say, okay, whoever's hot is going. And Ole was hot. And so be it. It's just the way it was. But Byron, Byron was a solid character player. He ended up playing with Boston for, I don't know how many years, eight, ten years. Yeah. And uh, well-rounded, well-solid guy, and and uh, you can't uh, you can't win without goaltending. We we had the best two in the league. What what is what's the feeling? You play all these years, and there are players who play 10, 15 years. They never win a championship. Um, what is it like when uh, when you not only when you win a championship like the Calder Cup, uh, uh, one of the most famous trophies in the in the sport? Uh, you know, it's a long history. You win the, the championship, and you win it with a good friend like Kevin Kaminsky, who, like you said before, you've been friendly with since you were both in the single digits. What what is that like? Well, you, you know what you all went through. Yeah. Like you, you knew the battles and the wars and everything. And there's a guy that deserves every accommodation that there is. Like he shouldn't have to open a door for anybody. Like everybody, when he walked in, the door should be open for him. The things he did for everybody on the ice was stupid. Like you, you, uh, you went to war for every ownership, for every teammate, for every line mate. No one, no one took a bad piece And uh, if there, if there is blood being spilled, there is going to be spilled first, and that's the way he was. Like even when I was on the ice with him, I'm going, there's a, there's a race to who gets the guy to defend, and uh, that's the kind of guy he was. But he also put the puck in him. Yeah. And, and uh, but killer, there's only one. Like you, you look at players around the league and. You go on, okay, there's only, there's only one killer, Kevin Kaminsky. Yeah. But he knows what he's like. You don't have to, you can talk about the players, the players can talk about him now and know what he's like. Yeah. And and the players that played against him are going, he's a player you want on your team, not against you. Oh, no and question. 
and uh, that's that. It was great playing with him because he, I I was just lucky. I roomed with him. So, uh, next year, actually, we had Jason Christie also from the old Sacramento team. I think we won 20 games in a row at the start of the season that year, and I think Boston started the season so 20 just to set a tone of every game. At the end of that Calder Cup season, I, I've read something somewhere, but I couldn't find any documentation to it. Did you and Killer play roller hockey for the New England Stingers? No, I didn't. I didn't. Killer did. Oh, okay. I did not. Okay. I, 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 go, I went back. I go back to the farm at that time and helped put in the jobs and everything. But Killer stayed there and played for the, the roller hockey team. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Okay. So the following season, when you go to... Now, you were initially signed to directly to Portland, correct? Not Washington? Right. But you went to camp with Washington the following season. Right. Now, I, I ended up halfway through both years. I, I signed a two-year contract with Portland. So my first year after training... I had a really good training camp in Washington. And halfway through training camp they changed my contract to a Washington contract. And the same thing happened the next year on the uh, next year. Okay, because that next year, uh, and a lot of these were on highlights on ESPN, you fought Dennis Vial in Ottawa, Ryan McGill from the Flyers, Phil Crow, Dan Cordick. So you had a very eventful um, training camp, and, and I do believe you scored at least one goal and did the uh, moonwalk, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I did that against Quebec. Hi. And uh, I was lucky enough. I thought it was going to be the only time I got to play against Wendell because Wendell was playing with Quebec at the time. Yeah. And we were playing down in the Carolinas as an exhibition game. And they sat Wendell out that game. Oh. And meanwhile, they sat out like Joe Sackett and Simon and all them. They're all sitting in the stands. And I, t- I, was, I was coming down and I took a shot and I scored a goal, a slap shot to the wing. And and uh, at the at the time, uh, Sackett goes what, elbowing Wendell in the ribs, going, "Watch this! Watch this! Watch this!" Because <laughs> Joe Joe Sackett and I play junior to get against each other. Yeah, he was a Swift Current, and I was in Saskatoon. I score and I do a moonwalk. So I did the moonwalk down the ice. Wendell had never seen it until that day. Is that right? So get out of the dressing room. I'm all shits and giggles, I'm laughing, I'm having fun and I come up and he's stand there and he's looking at me and goes you are the most embarrassing person of all. <laughs> I said because all the guys in the stands were just giving it to him in the stands after I scored the goal because he, he, he heard about it but he never ever saw it and he goes, he goes you're embarrassing <laughs> so we all, we all had a good laugh about it. So uh, how'd you played against him? Uh, if he's in the corner, you're taking a run at him? Well, I hit him. He'd probably throw me around. <laughs> I, I, I gotta keep my elbow down and lay the shoulder in. But I don't know how well it had done. Oh, I'm sure you would have done okay. So, uh, so yeah. So the next season, um, we you had mentioned that Jason Christie uh, joined the team uh, to join you and Killer, and uh, you know Brian Curran was still there. What were your thoughts on Brian Curran? He, uh, you know, he played a short time with the Islanders, a uh, little more than a season. Still holds the uh, record for most penalty minutes in the season with the Islanders. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Colonel? Well, he's a great. Like, he played in the era of like Dave Brown. I think he was in Portland when Dave Brown was a Saskatoon. So my, he, he was uh, 
he was kind of like the the colonel behind the whole ship there because he uh, he was a solid player, good team guy. Um, I didn't really know him until I played with him there in, in Portland and, and uh, had a lot of fun. And it, he still had the same same uh, drive as he did when he first came into the National Hockey League. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he's I tell you, he probably has some stories about the people he's fought because he started in the early 80s and worked his way up to when we played together in 93. Well, he's definitely on my radar to try to reach out and uh, make contact with because... Uh, I mean, I could do a whole show. I mean, I would obviously talk about his whole career. But that one season with the Islanders, uh, you know, that was sort of a transition because, uh, you know, guys like Gillies and Nystrom, they were getting older, and this was before, you know, Mick was on the team. And they brought in Colonel, and he literally just fought everybody. It was every night. He, he just – I got my money's worth every night, whether I'm at the game watching it on TV. Um, you know, and some people are critical of him. But uh, for me, it was just like he just brought an old-school mentality – and uh, and I loved him. I loved him while he was here. So hopefully I'll get him on the show. Well, the thing about Colonel is this is what you get. He's not sugarcoating. He's he's not a flashy guy, but he works his ass off, and, and uh, he's a good team guy. Yeah. And you need guys like that. Yeah. Well, he has a fan in this house. That's for sure. There's no question about that. Um, oh, definitely. So you played with uh, you played with Killer and Smurf again uh, in '94 '95. You guys played together most of the year. Yeah, we played quite a bit, quite a bit of the year. At the end of the year, I broke my hand in a fight, and uh, toward the end, just the way the dynamics go, of the kind of player I didn't play as much. And uh, but uh, it just, it was a great year playing with those two guys because Smurf, he's he he could hit as hard as anybody, and Killer, like they're they're a train wreck because they played quite a bit together. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, I know we played a lot the first 30 or 40 games together, and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. You um, you fought your friend, Darren Banks. You remember that fight? I believe he was with Adirondack at the time. Yeah, I fought Banksy a few times yeah. and uh, got out of it uh, unscathed pretty pretty much, but uh, Banksy and I, there would be times that we'd be, He'd be playing on the other team, and I'd pick him up, and we'd go for a beer, and then say, "Okay, see you on the ice." And after the game was done, we've had maybe one or two fights, and then go for a beer again and laugh, and everybody going, "You guys are crazy!" <laughs> but uh, we left it on the ice. And, and rumor is he's the guy to see when you go to Vegas now. Yeah, he's uh, he is Mr. Vegas. He took over for I think he's like the next Frank Sinatra. Very nice. But, Very but nice. Uh, no, he's uh, he's it. He's got a good job there, and. Uh, it, it fits him. He he, uh, he has a gift for gab, and uh, he does well there. You know, he uh, the roller hockey league that I asked you about. We had it here for one season at the Coliseum. Uh, we had the long. They were called the Long Island Jaws, and he actually played on that team. We had him here for a season. So right. So yeah, he we had a very uh, the, the um, guy who was the coach and GM is a guy named Phil DiGaetano who played some time in uh, Maine, and uh, he drafted his first draft pick. He had the first draft pick. In the whole league, he drafted Andy Bezo, but he never came and played. But he he loaded this team with tough guys, and uh, Banks was just one of them. And it was fun to watch because it was just crazy all the time. So it was, right. he was he was good here. So um, also that year, you fought a couple of guys that people are familiar with, uh, Darren Langdon. You had a nice marathon bout with him, and uh, that was on TV here locally. 
And uh, another guy you fought who ended up playing with the Islanders was Ken Belanger. Do you remember either one of those? Yeah, fought, yeah, fought both of them. So, there, two more heavyweights. Yeah. Yeah, you don't <laughs> yeah, pick your spots. No, uh, well, Langdon, he was a guy that uh, you thought he was done after a minute, then he was just getting going. Yeah. And uh, Belanger, well, was tough as nails. So, uh, uh, it, it was... Uh, they had a tough team. Uh, well, I know uh, Langdon had a tough team, and uh, I think he was in Binghamton yeah. at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So um, now, one of the things the American League that I think was always great about the American League was that they had so many teams up and down, you know, up and down the Northeast Coast. So you had a lot of the New England teams, and uh, Portland played Worcester a bunch of times, and that season. You ended up fighting Rob Melanson of Worcester four times. Was there anything personal there, or was it just circumstance? No, no. We've actually talked on Facebook a couple times and laughed about it. But, uh, <laughs> no, Mel, he was a uh, – well, he played – I think he played under Jimmy Roberts there. And, uh, yeah. and uh, no, he did his job well. And he just – you just knew – you both knew what your role was. So it's – like when shit was going to hit the fan, if it wasn't going well for them, well, he's coming after me. Or if our team isn't doing well, or if he's running over our guys, well, I have to go talk to him. So yeah. it's uh, it's just one of those things in the roles that you, you get into. Well, And he's another guy uh, from a tough hockey family. He's got a couple of brothers uh, that, that also played physical, too, uh, in pro. So, uh, right. you know. So the following season, uh, how did you end up in training camp with Hartford? Um. I was lucky enough, uh, Kelly Chase talked to Paul Holmgren to give me a tryout in uh, <coughs> Hartford because I signed with Orlando Solar Bears in the IHL that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went in as a walk-in just as a tryout. Yeah. So uh, actually Kelly and I drove from St. Louis to Hartford and uh, straight through and then ended up in training camp together there. Uh, and I, I saw that you had at least one fight in exhibition. You fought Todd Simpson of Calgary. Yeah, Todd was a rookie in Calgary and a solid defenseman, and we ended up, I actually, in that game, I asked Sandy to fight. Yeah. Because I, I'm going, okay, I'm trying to make a name for myself in, in Hartford, and they got Mark Jansen there, and they got uh, Daniels there, yeah. and they got Kelly Chase, and I'm going, okay, I, I need to go after the big dog. Mm-hmm. Well, there's Sandy, we're in, the, we're in the one dot, and we're lined up, and he goes, Sandy ended up fighting Don, uh, Daniels. Okay. And, and uh, uh, I ended up fighting Simpson. Yeah. So that's how that all worked out. I got you. Um, and then you, like you said, you signed with Orlando. Um, that was uh, that was their first season, right, in Orlando? Yes. Okay. So again, now one of the things about the IHL that I loved is uh, no every team was tough, and your team, you had uh, Barry Dreger, you had Mike Hartman. Uh, Jeff Serka was there. Uh, I think Alan May was there for a bit. Uh, Craig Duncanson, and possibly the toughest guy on the team was your head coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, but yeah. I I think our toughest guy on the team was uh, Gregor. I seen him and so he was a lefty and oh, he was a tough guy. But uh, um, uh, we no, we had a we had some tough characters there and, and uh, a good team too. Yeah, like a a good team like. Dunk didn't have to fight. Yeah, these guys didn't have to fight, and and uh, we had Al Baster and Net, and uh, uh, so it, it was good. So it, it was 
Don Waddell and Kurt Fraser, Peter Horchuk, they put a good team together. And actually, the first 20 games, we didn't do as well. But after the 20 games, we just turned the whole season around and ended up doing really well. So um, you played with a guy that year that scored 74 goals, Craig Fisher. Um, what was that? I mean, uh, had you ever played with anyone that had a season like that before? So for people who don't know, uh, Craig Fisher, I think he had some time with the Flyers. Uh, and later on, I think he actually signed with the Islanders. But that season, in 82 games, he scored 74 goals. No, it seemed like every time Fish took the uh, fish, he, he touched the puck, he was in the net. Because he was playing guy, solid guys like Mark Buffet and uh, all that. So not only he was he had good wingmen, but he... But it, it just seemed it was magic. Like there's just just things that it found the net for him. So you can't you just let him go. <laughs> yeah, he was, a, he was a thoroughbred. I I remember you know because the IHL got pretty good TV time here, and uh, it just seemed like every time you guys were on TV, it was you know in the beginning when they highlight a player, it was well Craig Fisher has this many goals and this many games, and it was just like Jesus, this guy's unstoppable. So. I wasn't surprised. I actually think the Islanders might have been the team that signed him off of those seasons in Orlando, and it didn't. It didn't work out. It just seemed like when he came up to the NHL, I don't know if it was a playing time thing or not, but just to, to score uh, that many goals in a season in any professional league is it's almost unthinkable. Yeah, no, it, it's tough scoring goals, and I think it's tougher even like even in the American League to the eye, it's tougher scoring goals. Yeah, uh, uh, but. Uh, it's who knows why, but he had a hell of a year that year with us, and he was a goal. He was our golden child, and we had we had some great players on the team too. Hugh yeah. McDonough, uh, Dave Barr, um, some Alfie Turcott, some great players. Well, Hubie is uh, very loved here by Islander fans. He was uh, the other player when the Islanders traded, or I should say, fleeced the Kings by sending them Miko Makala. And they got back Bomber and uh, Hubie McDonough. So obviously, I knew about Bomber. Uh, you know, I, I was just ecstatic. But I didn't know much about Hubie. And when I got to watch him play every night, uh, he's a good little player. He really is. He's a good, underrated player. Oh, a fabulous player. Like he was our, he was our go-to in in Orlando outside Fisher. Like he was a solid, well-rounded player. And, and uh, um. Uh, I got to sit beside him in the dressing room. He'd just shake his head at me, but, but uh, <laughs> he, he, was, he was solid, solid person. Uh, you had a fight that year uh, against Brian Chapman of your old team, the Roadrunners, and it was hard to see on TV. But did he? Do you remember? Did he headbutt you in that fight? No, I don't think so. Okay, but my head was the least least to worry about. <laughs> well, yeah. you don't want to mess up your looks, though. Yeah. Well. Nighttime for that. <laughs> you also fought a, an up-and-coming guy who got uh, significant playing time in the IHL, John Craighead of the Vipers. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I ended up fighting him in Detroit. Yeah. Or, yeah, when the Vipers. And that is a good fight there with him. And that was the only time I did fight, yeah. fight him. So, uh, um, I know Barry Dragger fought him a couple times. and uh, But uh, we had a good fight there. Yeah. Um. And that season, you made it to the finals. You didn't win, but uh, what was that experience like? I imagine that part of the role, first of all, you're always a guy active in the community, so you're always talking to the fans, maybe 
doing visits, hospitals or schools. Um, and that was the first year for hockey in Orlando. And you guys were sort of ambassadors introducing Orlando to professional hockey. So what was that whole thing like going from, like you say, you didn't really start the season well, but then you end up in the finals. Uh, so uh, t take me through that year where you were kind of bringing hockey to a new city. Well, it's good. Like Orlando, they re uh, we were getting like 15000 a game, especially in the playoffs, and we ended up playing Salt Lake. Uh, I think it was the Islanders farm team. Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Finals that year. Yeah. And, uh, it, was, uh, it was good. Like, they had a solid team. We had a solid team. And I think three of the four, I think we lost four in a row, but three of the four teams games went to overtime. And I didn't, have, just the way that the game had played at that time in the playoffs, I didn't end up playing in the playoffs the last, those four games, but just the way it went. But uh, it was, uh, Orlando was a great city to play in. Like they, they really marketed well for kids. They, they made it fun. Yeah. Marketing there was different than marketing in Portland, Maine, or, or up in up in the, the Maritimes or whatever. It's like the different aspect of the game, the players were all the same, but you're selling to a different category because it's, it's more of WWE than the the than NHL look. Yeah, I uh, when Killer finished his career was in Orlando and we went to actually visit him down there and I remember going uh, to the, I don't know if it was in the practice facility or what but I just remember the facility where the, the, I guess the gym was, it was pretty phenomenal, uh, especially for that time, I wonder if that was the same facility you had down there No, we practiced over by International Drive okay. and the, the rink was I don't know. It was about a 1970s rink, so okay. it was. I think it was only one of two or three rinks in the whole Orlando area. Okay. So, but that's where we practiced all the time, unless it was a, unless we got to practice in the the, the rink during the during the season that the basketball team wasn't playing. Okay. But we practiced over in this uh, rickety old rink over on International Drive. It was nothing like the facility they had later. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, it definitely wasn't it. So, um, the following season, if it's possible, your team may have gotten tougher. You returned, and Barry returned, and then you added Clayton Norris and Jeff Buchanan. Yeah, Clayton Norris, he, him and I, he was in Hershey when I was in Springfield at one time. And him and I, or actually I was in Portland, he yeah. was in Hershey. And we ended up scrapping a couple times, and then he ended up come signing in Orlando and and Jeff Buchanan so both solid guys and, and uh, I actually lost touch with both of them I, I haven't talked to them in a long time yeah uh, but Clayton Clayton was a he was my, he was a kind of a player like I was yeah like he he could really trust him in doing his job and he worked hard and he was tough as nails well, I think you have to be tough to live up to the nick when people call you Chuck and your last name yeah. is Norris, you got to you got to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> and and that season you had uh, a, a game against Grand Rapids where you had a three-fight game. So we had talked about when you fight the Roberts brothers um twice and when you fight each of them, that's got to worry out. And now uh you're towards the tail end of your career and you're fighting Bruce Ramsey uh twice. One of them was just a a beauty fight, you know, especially for me because I didn't get hit. And then you fought uh, Jamie Linden. Do you remember that game? 
Yeah. No, I, I remember fighting them all. Yeah. And, uh, well, I know Ramsey. Him and I, it seems like every time we played, it was like, okay, we're, do we get it over with or we play, play a bit? And, well, he, he was a solid he was a solid player for the Grand Rapids, and, and uh, he, he did their job well. And basically, uh, like, he, you're going to cause trouble out there. And he, he defended his team well, and we, we've had, we had quite a few kills, him and I both together. So. Yeah. Um, and Lyndon, I think we only had two in our whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that was more of a wrestling match. But uh, Bruce and I had some good old uh, swing fests there a couple times. Yeah. So let and let it be noted that I think this season you were more of a sniper than a playmaker because you had seven points and six of those were goals. Yeah. Well, purely accidental. That was the year I uh, I think I broke my arm. I I was on a breakaway and I uh, I was on a breakaway and Gila Rose who handed me over my forearm and snapped my forearm in half. Oh God. And I missed. Quite about 20 games because I broke my arm in half, so Shit. my forearm. So it, that was probably two things. If I wasn't carrying the puck or I was in on a breakaway, I wouldn't have been in trouble. <laughs> See, that's what you get. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was a tough year breaking your arm than than that. So Ooh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that happened. But uh, one other guy that you fought that year um, is a guy that I I'm. I'm a big fan of him, and it, it's not so much. I think he was. I think he was a good player, but it's more the guy. Like I just, Dave Chizowski was a second overall pick. Islanders picked him second overall, and no matter how old he gets, I'm always going to picture the kid that they drafted. He always seemed like he was smiling. He was a big goofy kid, and uh, I always loved the guy. I always defend the guy and everything. And uh, and I think later on in his career, when he when it was pretty much he was going to stay in the minors, he ended up fighting a little bit more. And uh, that season, he was with Indianapolis. You ended up fighting him. Do you remember that at all? No, I, I don't remember fighting Chizer. Okay. Uh, that's may, may, maybe he knocked me out. And I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't remember uh, fighting Chizer in the, in. The, I remember playing with him in the, going to the Islander camp, but I don't uh, I, I I don't remember fighting him. Well, he's going to come on at some point. I'll I'll ask him. Maybe he can remember. Uh, I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he knocked you out, but uh, but I'll find out. I'll get to the bottom of that. Yeah. Um, so it brings us to your final season. Uh, what led to you signing with Milwaukee? Well, at the time after Orlando, and I was having a tough time find, finding a contract. It was my tenth year, and I think uh, I think just like going into your first year, your your tenth year, they. When you first go into play, you're proven that you can play, and then your last year, you're proven you can still do it. So I had no NHL teams, but uh, I was lucky enough to get a contract with Milwaukee, and, and Al Sims signed me uh, uh, for the Milwaukee Admirals and uh, took me under his wing. So uh, I, I had a fabulous last year, I could say, and uh, uh, had a fun year. It was a great great bunch of guys a great team and they had a lot of fun there so um that season you kind of evened up the categories because you scored seven you helped on seven and of course proving that you could still do it in your final season uh 285 penalty minutes so i'd say you had a pretty good last season yeah no it was, <laughs> yeah i think i led the league in majors that year well 
three of those majors were against uh, someone that I've already talked about, and you and I have discussed him, uh, Dean Ewan. Uh, probably, I'm always going to say heavyweight champ of the league. If not, he's definitely up there. Uh, and you guys are buddies, and uh, you remember the wars you had with Dino? Well, I had <laughs> several wars, either self-created or having to go defend someone there. Uh, we're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> but but uh, Dino was a, a gentleman, and uh, he was a great teammate, great friend, and a fierce warrior where him and I uh, started really to get, like, played junior in different teams in the same league, but uh, started in our pros together in the same team. And then kind of my last year, he ended up Kansas City, and I'm in Milwaukee, and I was the main guy in Milwaukee, and he was the main guy in Kansas City. And uh, just the way our teams played, we ended up uh, having to deal with our deal with our things uh, together. We kept it on the ice, and uh, uh, I think he took it easy on me. Well, I, I told him that you said that, and he laughed because obviously he knows how tough you are, and uh, I know he respects you a ton, and he loves you. So let me take you through an incident. So what, back in the day when you guys played, um, the Internet was new and all this other stuff, and basically when the Blades would play, um, you know, maybe once a week or so or every 10 days or so, I would speak to Dean on the phone, and he'd kind of brief me on what happened and everything. And I remember... Um, he was telling me in a preseason game that he played with the Blades against Peoria, this guy, Eric Fenton, and he's just yapping and yapping, and he's like, I lost my cool, I headbutted him and everything. He goes, I, I just can't stand this guy. Well, next season, uh, Eric Fenton ends up on Milwaukee, or he may have been there already, but it ends up where you're his teammate. And um, I, I probably, I, I don't want to say it was that night or maybe the day after, and I get a phone call, and he goes, remember that Fenton guy from Peoria? Yeah, so we had an incident. So um, for those who don't, if, if people didn't listen to my my episodes with Dean, uh, something happened, and I guess Dean followed Fenton into the Milwaukee locker room. And uh, why don't you take it from there, what you remember? Well, both both teammates uh, I love dearly, like Dean yeah. and, and even Fenton. Yeah. Uh, Eric was a. If there was a, if there was a, a wasp nest, he would. He was the lead wasp. <laughs> like he, he was. Uh, he was good at what he did. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, he, he created things for me. And but he could also play. But he was that type of player that really stirred the pot. It was good. Like he, yeah. was, he was a guy that you wanted on your team, but didn't want to play against. You know what I mean? And yeah. And uh, he. he I know, I know. Uh, Dean didn't like him very much. And <laughs> Dean and I always fought. I think we even fought already that game. And whatever, it was after, it was in between periods or after. I don't know if it was at the end of the game or in the second or third period, where I think maybe it was after the end of the game where Fenton uh, went was going into the dressing room and Dean came through the Kansas City area and came in chasing him into our dressing room, and I was right behind. I saw it, and I, so I started high bolting with my skates running across the map to, to to stop Dino. And just as he was getting to Eric, and Eric was down, and Dino was going to fumble him, I I grabbed uh, Dino, and I just said, "Dino, don't." Yeah. And, and not like if I if if he wanted to, he could have thrown me around and just did what he wanted. But he took a step back and took a breath and just left it at that. Yeah. And uh, I just went, phew, thank God. <laughs> and because 
it's been a good, but it, that's the kind of player Eric was. As in, he was he was good at what he did, and he got under people's skin. And they're just like some people got under my skin when I played. He got under Dino's skin, and it just drove him nuts. And uh, I'm going. I remember end up fighting like I I get through a fight with Dino and I'm just thank God I'm skating to the bench and all of a sudden I see this happen I'm going not again <laughs> and, and I'm going I don't I don't even think I've recovered from the first time let alone been doing it again so uh, but uh, it was it was eventful. Well, if I ever met Eric and and we actually are friends on Facebook, but I would tell him that you know I I pretty much know everything there is to know about Dean's career and you know he pretty much was level-headed for most of the time and for Eric to get get him like he did I mean he definitely was good at his job because most of the time you know Dean would let you know he'd, he'd chirp back at guys and everything but no one really set him off like that and and this was I just remember him telling me about the the game uh, the exhibition game with Peoria and he sent me the tape and I saw that and then he told me about this and I'm like man this guy really he knows what to say to you because he just gets you charged up. Yeah, no, it was it was entertaining. It, it was uh, I think it was the last time Dino and I played against each other. Yeah. So, uh, because you said it, I'll ask you: was there was there a guy who would get under your skin pretty good? No, never really. No one really got under my skin. I did. I just knew like before every lineup, I knew I knew there's a good chance of what I was going to do and how the, you knew how the game was going to start. And I knew, if, okay, do I, do I want to start stuff? You know, and also, also it's in your line mates. So do you want, like when I play with Killer and play with Chaser, and they never minded, like they loved the physical act of the game and, and all this kind of stuff, the player, certain players you play with, because no use starting stuff if you're not with the same kind of players that know that, you're going to be causing havoc out there. Um, you got to play it differently. You played differently when I was in Portland than I played in, in Orlando. Doing the same job, but you're not going to... You don't have four other guys like you on the team to, to be on the ice because the game was changing. Yeah. So you you had to change it. There was, there was times, like, I, I, like in junior, all through junior, I knew going to PA, I was either fighting Manson or Bomber the first few years, and then after that, I was either going to be Rod Dolphin, Kimball, or Reed Simpson. Yeah. And I, I'm going. To, I knew it was going to be that. And when I went to Moose Jaw, there was I knew it was my team. And then I, I, I was in Medicine Hat. I was either Dale Kushner or or Jamie Huskroff. Or if I was going here, you knew it was this way. And yeah. the same thing in minor pros. Like I knew. I knew. I didn't go after guys that couldn't do it. And they didn't go after guys that couldn't do it either. Unless they did, those guys did something really stupid, and then I go, know what, you deserve it. And, like, there's times where you defend yourself, and there's times, okay, I've been on the ice where guys on the other team have been doing stuff, and I said, okay, you either come and deal with me now, or I'm going to run over your goalie, and then your goalie's going to be mad at you, and then I'll just say, well, he could have dealt something did something and I said he didn't want to do it so now I hit you now you're mad at the goalie and me and are mad at your teammate for not doing anything and the, now it's all his fault and I just I just play it like that yeah. and I just said you either get it out of the way or you don't so uh, 
but uh, it, it I never really I never hated but hated anybody on the ice really mm-hmm. um, there I knew I had some good rivalry like Dino and I had a good rivalry I knew going into Kansas City there's a great chance Dino and I'd be scrapping because whatever the way we played either he did something or I did something yeah it's just the way it is mm-hmm. I, I and I wouldn't expect it any other way I wouldn't expect him to lighten up yeah uh, one guy that you had um, a couple of fights with that final year who later became your teammate was Turbo, Dean Trebojevic. Dino. <laughs> you, yes. re- you remember those fights? Yes, Dino. I remember Dino quite well. Yeah. Yeah, and he was a hard-nosed player, too. He played uh, He played part of uh, this, I think it was the first season when the Islanders moved to Troy and Capital District. He played a few games. Uh, I think it was uh, Dean Ewan got hurt, and they would they brought in a few guys. I think Drugger played a few games there. Uh, I think Mel Anglestead may have played a game or two, and, and Turbo played, I think, half the season with CDI. So uh, so I know he's a tough guy, and he's a good kid and everything else. I didn't know. Uh, is he the kind of guy you take under your wing at that point? Well, I never really had to take under my wing. It just, uh, it just I played with him, and I ended up, actually, Dino and I ended up scrapping a couple times, had a couple good scraps against each other. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned just a guy that uh, probably, if you're talking about minor league tough guys, I say was in the top one or two is Mel Engelstad. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, like, there's a lot of people who had some great fights, but I ended up, I ended up, I was, we we ended up playing one year, one game. He was with Orlando and I was with Milwaukee. We played in Houston. And I fought their tough guy. Uh, I'm trying to think who it was again. Um, big tough guy in Houston, and I uh, hurt my hand. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell Mel. And uh, we ended up, and I kind of got him into a fight. And he dropped his gloves. I didn't. And it was a dirty move that on my part, but it got us a power play, and we're sort of players. Yeah. And uh, but that didn't. That did my thing with Mel was Mel. I thought like it was my last year, and it, he was he he worked his way up from the from the streets to get to. The, he ended up playing a couple games of the show, I think. Yeah, Washington, and, uh, right? And but he he was in Orlando, and and I I knew Mel from a way back. I would put Mel in the. You know, my whole career, if if I was saying, okay, all the guys I fought, and he's one I never did fight, mm-hmm. never did fight, and I go, and as of right now, I say, thank God, I'm going, I put him in in the top one or two toughest in the minors I've ever seen, did and that's where I put, that's where I put Mel. I I know, um, I I spoke to Mel maybe once or twice, probably. Jeez, 15, 20 years ago. What a great guy. And the thing that I like most about Mel is uh, he worked his way. He ended up getting a few games in the show, and he really he worked his way up from the Colonial League with uh, Thunder Bay. I, I uh, see. Yeah. I have a tape of him and uh, Ramsey just 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 running through the league. Um, you know, so you start at that level, the Colonial League, and you end up finishing your career with some games in Washington. I mean, that that's the kind of guy you admire, you know. Well, and great. Now I think I think Mel and Ramsey are coaching together. They are, yeah, yeah. Mel's, uh, 
I think, uh, I don't know, was uh, Ramsey's a head coach and Mel's filling in for someone, I think, right now. So Yeah, well, well, you got the best, you got the toughest one-two punch in the minor hockey right there. <laughs> I'd Bill. say so, absolutely. Yeah, either one of them would give me a headache. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell you right there. <laughs> so uh, what led to your decision to retire? I broke my neck. And I broke my neck uh, five minutes going to uh, the last game, home game of the year. I had two goals in the game. Imagine that. Me score two goals in one game. Wow. I was coming across the, uh, the blue line. I got a pass back from my defenseman. I turned it up. Mark Potvin hit me the same way. Uh, Scott Stevens hit, hit Eric Lindros coming oh, across wow. the center. Okay. And his shoulder hit, caught me right in the neck and the head. Clean yeah. hit. Clean hit. Yeah. And I knew I broke my neck right there. And wow. uh, I fell face down and I couldn't move very much and uh, my hands really hurt and different things where it broke. And that's where I got carried off and that was the last game I played. How, how are you today? Do you have any residual effects from that? Yeah, about 50 pounds. So. <laughs> that may have happened regardless, though. Yeah, well, that's true. That's <laughs> I think that's family genetics. My elbows my elbows keep bending, so uh, <laughs> that just happens. But, uh, no, just the only residual effects is just playing hard my whole career and, and just bumps and bruises. And I have aches and pains no different than any, any other player or hardworking person that goes on. Wow, that's, uh, man, I tell you, I, I think we had discussed that once before, but it, it, it slipped my mind. And uh, when you just hearing you say that again, it's just like, wow, that's uh, that's scary. That's scary stuff. Um, well, I, well I, I came off the ice paralyzed, <sighs> and I went, I went into, the, I went into the, the hospital, and I, I uh, had surgery, and basically in eight hours they had me up walking. Wow. And the guy, the guy next to me was a football player, and he had the same break I did, and he couldn't walk. No kidding. So the doctor says, we have no answers what, but it just, you're walking, he's not. Wow. Oh, so uh, two surgeries later, and now I'm a, a civil servant uh, in Toronto. Before you were a civil ser servant in Toronto, you went into coaching. Yeah, um, you coached. Yeah. Um, you coached the one. I, did you coach one season with OCN? Two seasons. Two seasons, and in those two seasons, you had some pretty tough players play for you. Um, unfortunately, uh, two of them are no longer with us. I don't know if you're okay to talk about them. Uh, sure. but, but even on the ice, I mean, you you had uh, Darcy Johnson, uh, Terrence Tutu. Uh, most people are familiar with his brother, uh, yep. Jordan, and uh, Big Steve McIntyre. Well. I tell you one thing. There's another tough guy, but uh, Terrence was uh, my my first year coaching, and uh, they won the league the year before. And the only there's only I think there is four four players: Tommy Herman, Darcy Johnson, Preston McKay. I think there was only three of them coming back from the year before, hmm. and uh, I had to rebuild from scratch the the team. And, and uh, I had a great staff there uh, the, in OCN for the OCN Blizzard, and we we uh, went really young, and we ended up doing really well. We won the league both that year and the year after. Came close in the 
in the uh, Anavet Cup twice. Uh, lost four games to one the first season, then lost uh, four games to three games in uh, the second season against Weyburn. But uh, it was really close. And uh, But uh, <laughs> Terrence, well, can't say enough good words about Terrence. He was a great captain, great friend, and, and uh, it was unfortunate uh, the path that he took and uh, missed him dearly and miss him today. And, and Darcy, he was, uh, he was a fun guy. He, uh, he was tough as nails. And uh, he, uh, he had some fun in the minors, and uh, he, just, he passed away a couple of years ago, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. And big old Mac, I tell you, it's. I see him destroy some guys in the NHL, and I was like, "Oh, yo, yo, I'm glad I'm not playing anymore." <laughs> He's scary, man. That no, guy is he was scary. He was he was scary. He was scary in junior, and uh, he he was a man amongst boys, and uh, he was a good good. Uh, he was a good country boy that. Uh, he was fun-loving and worked hard and just wanted to have fun. And then after that, you were an assistant coach in Prince George. And, yeah. And uh, you had uh, a couple of guys I want to ask you about. Uh, Jason Goulet, and, uh, who some people may not be familiar with. I'm, I'm, of course, familiar with him. But a name that most people that follow the sport will know is uh, Big Buff was there, Dustin Bufflin, Correct. Yeah, Big Buff, uh, he came in from Brandon, uh, Daryl Lubinick, he traded for him uh, uh, to come back from Brandon, and uh, he, I think he was 17 or 18 at the time, and uh, he was the best player on that team for, uh, he, he learned how to become a great player, and uh, he was a good player at 18, and uh, uh what can you say about Buff? He's had a great career. He's a train wreck out there. He just destroys everybody who tries to get him, and he, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Like yeah. he, he was talented. You can't teach that. Yeah. And uh, uh, Goulet was a big, tough guy, and, and uh, we also had some uh, great players. Like I was lucky enough to open the door for Dan Hamus. Oh, yeah? You don't, you don't teach Dan anything. You just open the door and say, go, show me something. Yeah. That's that's there, there's players you can coach and there's players you just watch because you, they can't, they, you could maybe guide them in a direction because that's how good they are and that's what Dan Hamuse was like and and uh, I was lucky enough to watch him play and I was lucky enough to work under Ed Dempsey Yeah, uh, I learned a lot as a coach that year um, as assistant coach under him and I wish I would have had two years under him before I become a head coach in the OCN. I would have done, I would have known how to deal with things better because he, very smart hockey man. Um, and then that, and then you uh, stopped coaching. And uh, was that uh, something that you decided that you need to get a real job, or or how did that come <laughs> about where you decided to stop coaching? Well. At the end of the two years in Prince George, they weren't going to renew my contract, and it was mutual, and, and they wanted to go in a different direction, and and uh, I talked to my brother Wendell, and and uh, at that time, I started writing police exams and uh, different things, and uh, I gradually worked across uh, to go back, and I helped on the farm there in the summer, and 
Wendell ended up telling me, get your get your ass out here to Ontario and and uh, start apply to police or fire or something. They're hiring people out here like crazy because they're, they're sorted. So I uh, started applying and I was fortunate enough to get on a job where I work on a police force out in, uh, in Ontario here right now. Right. And you've been there for a while now, no? 17 years now. Wow, that's good. How many do you have to work for your pension? 20 or 25? Uh, 30, actually. 30. Oh. Um, yeah, so 25 is with my 85 factor, but uh, that'd be where I'm 60 and out. But in in uh, I think the RCMP is either 20 and 25 out, and but uh, you're, uh, where I'm working, it's uh, 30 and out. Okay, yeah, my sister, uh, she worked for the NYPD here and... She had, uh, when she went on, she was able to get out at 20, so she just got out a couple of years ago. I think uh, people that get on now have to go 25, so that's well, why. Well, I, I, wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind that 20, 25. Yeah, that's not bad, right, especially when you're at 17 already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Sharky, I don't have any other questions for you other than uh, did I miss anything? Uh, is there anything that uh, I didn't touch on that maybe uh, you think would be interesting or... No, I, I think uh, I just got to thank everybody that uh, where they influenced me or gave me a chance and uh, the teammates that I had that I was lucky enough to play with and and uh, the coaches that I had that uh, saw something in me to give me a chance and uh, I had some very good coaches Bobby Francis uh I can't say enough about uh, a solid, solid hockey person that uh, gave me a chance in Salt Lake. By Barry Trotz and Horn and and Al Sims in Milwaukee and uh, uh, these guys. Uh, I wouldn't have had a career as long as I did if it wasn't for them. They saw things in me that maybe other people didn't, and uh, I was lucky enough to play a, a game that uh, we all want to play. So I had ten good years. So in the minors, nuts. Usually you're not in the minors that long, so I was lucky enough. Well, I did remember one more question I wanted to ask you, and hopefully it's a good one that will make you laugh. Um, do you remember, I assume it was just one day, but the uh, the Levinsky shoot with you and Killer and uh, Smurf, for, I guess it was a, was it an apparel store, a sporting goods store in uh, Portland? Oh, jeans. I think we were selling jeans for some reason, and they had us doing circles with the yeah. figure skating. <laughs> and uh, we're trying to emulate the figure skaters and uh, we're all kind of laughing selling jeans I think we got for our payoff I think we all got a pair of jeans to wear uh, I just I know Killer had sent me a bunch of those that I just where I think Smurf he can't even get out his line he's just laughing and then Killer says something about having the killer looks I don't know how you guys kept a straight face well I, I, it was a lot of fun like being able to have a roommate of Jason and Kevin Kaminsky in Portland and I lived with Paul Cruz and Darren Stoke and Trevor Kidd in, in Salt Lake and Doc Zemelak. Like, I had a lot of roommates, and uh, I, was, I was very fortunate. So, uh, long, long career and, and uh, a lot of fun. So, there's there's probably more stories that we forgot about than what uh, we, uh, more stories we forgot about than we remember anyways. Well, this was, this was really a treat. Uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, it's kind of a goal of mine to get on uh, the Springfield guys. I want to try to get on as many of you guys as possible. That uh, 
that's a big deal to me. And, and uh, I told you you're always one of my favorite players. And uh, it's been a pleasure knowing you all these years. And uh, I just want to say thanks again. You're very welcome. Listen to you next time, and I'll keep listening to your shows. Uh, thanks, Sharky. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Okay. Good night. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Kerry Clark for taking time out of his schedule to join me here in the penalty box. Uh, that was a lot of fun for me. He was definitely one of the guys I had targeted when I decided to do the show. And uh, I'm just so grateful that he was able to come on. So, Sharky, if you're listening, thank you again. Uh, next week, I will have uh, one of Sharky's teammates who we briefly touched on. Um, he's a guy that really has uh, his career is really in two parts. Played uh, the first half of his career in North America and then uh, went overseas. And he played in a few different places, but really made his mark uh, in the British Super League with uh, Air. I think that's how you say it. All my friends over in, in uh, Great Britain, if I said it wrong, I apologize. But he played for the, uh, for the Air team. And I could be wrong, but I think he's got to be kind of a legend over there. And that would be Sean Byram. And uh, Sean is quite the character. And uh, I can't wait to do the interview with him, and I can't wait to bring it to you people. So uh, everybody, please stay safe out there and, uh, you know, spend some time with your family. If, you, if you're not able to go out, uh, spend some time with your family. Give your kids a hug and, uh, you know, catch up on all the old episodes of Coliseum Chronicles. I'm sure they'd love to hear it too. Uh, but seriously, everybody stay safe out there and uh, do what you have to do, and uh, we'll get through this together. Have a great week. Thank you.